ridiculous. Professor, why don't you give Costello a demonstration of your strength? Very well.
And hello, everybody. It is Saturday night, October the 16th, year 2010. I'm Wong Hughes. Hope you're doing really, really, really well. And let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the station. Please look after uh, Kim as she mourns the loss of her, her puppy dog. Uh, help Bill get through one more day at being beat big techs. And help us have a very successful auction to keep us going. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, let's get ready for Patricia. Nothing like. Radio stations have birthdays like everybody else. And today we are celebrating ours, the 40th anniversary of broadcasting, entertainment, news, sports, and information to the people of the Pacific Coast from San Francisco. It was in 1922 that KNBC, then known as KPL, began program service. Many famous entertainers and many historic events were beamed out over the airways during our 40 years of broadcasting. In 1951, when the NBC radio network was celebrating its 25th anniversary, the then popular comedy team of Fibber McGee and Molly did a special broadcast that eavesdropped on some of the great shows of radio. Since then, Molly Jordan has passed on and Fibber is living in retirement in Encino, California. 12 years have slipped by since Fibber McGee and Molly's 25th anniversary salute to NBC. And that broadcast is in itself a collector's item. Tonight is one of the highlights of KNBC's 40th anniversary celebration. We will revive that famous broadcast of Fibber McGee and Molly, during which you will hear the voices of Joe Penner, Fred Allen, Ben Burney, W.C. Fields, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy, and many, many other favorites from out of the past, starring Fibber McGee and Molly. Our Silver Jubilee, the 25th birthday of the National Broadcasting Company. Like any birthday, the birthday of NBC is a time for reflection and recollection. Were you listening to Ed Wynn at 9.30 on a Tuesday night in 1932? At 7 o'clock on a Wednesday evening in 1929, were you listening to Amos and Andy? Or were you listening to Rudy Valley's Great Variety Show at 8 o'clock on a Thursday evening in 1934? Now, these were... And now, here she is. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Alden. Hi, everybody. It's Saturday already. How did it get to be Saturday already? I don't know. I'm not finished with Monday. You know, I mean, <laughs> we, we usually gobble up a, a sizable chunk of Sunday before we finish up. So Sunday is half over by the time we even get to bed. That's true. Then Monday is here already, and already it's Saturday, and then it's going to be Monday again. Monday, the pay-the-bill days. Earn enough money, keep ourselves intact. That's a good day to think about that. I think I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to me. No. Uh, well, we've got good stuff for tonight. What kind of stuff do you got? Well, you and I, Walden and I, talk about the most unusual things during the week. <laughs> we talk about blizzards. Do you remember? I sure do. The blizzard of 48 was a hot topic. The blizzard of 48 was a hot topic.
topic. <laughs> That's very good, Walter. <laughs> it was actually pretty cold, but it was a hot topic, and I got blizzard notes from 1948, uh, and the, the country was really hammered in 1948. Um, so I got blizzard information, and that made me wonder how many people remember from when they were kids, or grown up if you have to, but when you were kids, what constituted a really big snowstorm for you? Do you remember blizzards? Was there ever a blizzard in your life? And for people like Walden, who never had a snowflake in his life, you've never had a snowflake in your life, have you? Uh-uh. I wouldn't know what that looks like. Well, we'll, we'll accept any, <laughs> <laughs> any storm at all. So, Do you remember any significant storm or weather event? I live in California, my dear. I know. You get earthquakes. Huh? What's that? I guess that's not really a, a weather event. No, 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 it certainly no. is an event. Call it shake, have rattle. Have call, there been any big storms? Call it shake, rattle, and roll. Um, well, <clears throat> I've seen snow because I've gone up to Lake Tahoe and places like that to ski and and Big Bear kind of thing. But I, um, I never... Let's see, here in Southern California, the, the coldest it ever got was um, 78, and when we were driving home from the bus, we had some hail come down. So that that is about the biggest deal we saw. But basically here, and everybody knows it because you see it in the weather, uh, California weather men are crazy <laughs> because on TV, if we think we're going to get a, an eighth of an inch of rain, uh-huh. The weather people are outside with their umbrella describing the weather, the rainfall. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that is big. we get that with a snowflake here. I know, but that's what they do here in California. Um, Truth, when somebody reports a snowflake, which happened about two decades ago, and they send the news crews out with their mobile units, mm-hmm. so you get news crews out when it's going to rain. Yes, and when it just rains, just a tad. Um, um. It, California, when I was growing up, was totally unprepared for rain because uh, street and gutter system were not properly had the drainage system. So anytime uh-huh. it rained, it flooded the street kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was always a big deal. And, you know, rain, rain in January, January is generally a traditional rain month. And, you know, hey, hey, you know, I live in California. I mean, that's just part of the break, you know, um, but no, that that's, uh, th- that's, that's the biggest stuff that ever falls from the sky around here, I mean, I mean, I never really have suffered from a power outage. Not, is that true? Yeah. Oh, well, then you've been deprived. <laughs> I mean, a power outage here, it might be go off a flicker of a second. It's never been, you know, let's say one of those things you, you've been out for an hour or so. The only time is maybe utility companies to shut it off to rewire something. And you never got to sit around the fireplace and toast marshmallows uh-uh. and tell ghost stories or no, anything? No, nothing like that, no. Nah, nah. Only do that when you're out camping in the woods. Boy, you really are deprived. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping that we will have people call in tonight and tell us about storms. Any kind of a storm. I looked up blizzards because that's what Walden and I had been talking about this week. But there are hurricanes and tornadoes. I know Tom in Kansas lived through some tornadoes. Yep. Um, snowstorms, blizzards, uh, rainstorms, hail, just anything at all that Mother Nature did to you. Give us a call and let us know what it was. 
714-545-2071. And would you like to know about your Nebraska blizzard of 1948? Sure. I can tell one hurricane story. Oh, good. Okay. Um, naturally, was not in California. You know. <laughs> when you get them out in California, you get the typhoons coming in off I, the Pacific. I, I guess so, but you know. Anyway, so in 1981, I was camping at the Boy Scout National Jamboree at, out at Fort A.P. Hill, Virginia. And uh, we did have a hurricane go through there. Um, and the interesting, in, in Boy Scouts, when you get to National Jamboree, a big deal is to put gateways up. These are, you know, 15 feet high and 30 feet long, and it sort of shows the area you're from. Like, we had a semblance of Knockberry Farm, you know, the Wild West kind of uh, out uh, theme. Well, the hurricane that blew through, we didn't have our gateway up. It blew almost everybody's gateways down. Uh, had running water, and I had a, uh, you know, we're sweeping in Baker tents. Baker tents are the one with no bottom, and they are that one that fold up from the side. And so you had all this water. And Virginia is known for mud. Oh, it's known for sinking mud. Oh, my. And th during the Civil War, it got to the point that when it rained, the cannon would sink. And so what they would do is put a stick, and then the troops would come back later to dig them up. And I, and I experienced that. My sweeping cot sunk in the mud. Okay. <laughs> so, uh... So I was planning to get to sleep on top of the uh, picnic bench, but we found another cot for me, and uh, I got a tick that got in, that visited me and got into my leg. But hey, that that was my that was my one experience of a hurricane. A tick? That's mm -hmm. worse than the hurricane. I know. Oh yes. I know. See, I, I I keep telling you folks, sleeping out on the ground when there's a perfectly nice dry bed waiting for you at home. Is not the brightest thing to do. Have you ever gone camping? <laughs> Only under duress. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in a cabin. <laughs> you haven't had the experience of sweeping out sweeping in the, out? the dirt? Are you kidding? I, in fact, um, I'll, tr I'll share trade secrets here. Mm. I'm part of it. The Boy Scouts. Uh, the service arm of the Boy Scout that runs all the camperies, summer camp at the Order of L. And I was part of that. And our initiation is to hike in the middle of the night uh, going through all these ceremonies. So you start off at 11 o'clock at night. And actually, I was leading a group of 66 people. So we got lost. So we didn't you find... <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I was in front. Oh, I don't even want to ask. I was in front. <laughs> my dad was behind me. He fell asleep, so I was carrying him on my shoulder, kind of thing, and then everybody else. So, me and the guide who got lost, 66 of us. Uh, so we found our camp spot at two, two in the morning. These people followed you. Yes. People followed me. The blind leading the blind. Um. Anyway, so. It's in May, and it's North San Diego in the valley. Now, out in the desert, excuse me, out, it can get sort of cold. So one year, Patricia, uh, we were going through this, and we 
camp outside on the ground with a fire six feet away, and we would have frost on the sleeping bag. So those, those are the things that you're missing from not sleeping outside. You had frost on a sleeping bag. We didn't have frost on a sleeping bag. We will never have frost on a sleeping bag. You have got to be kidding me. I hunkered down. It's 68 degrees here. I'm ready to turn on the heat. I'm all hunkered down, and, and I've got two layers of sweaters on, and you're going to make me sleep in the dirt in the cold? I don't think so. Now, uh, people who I, I know we have scouters out there, I have a trade secret. If you're going to sleep outdoors in the frost, there's one way to keep your clothes warm. Just put, them, just put them in the bag. Don't let them outside. Look, because they'll get exposed and get damp when you wake up at 7 in the morning and you're trying to get dry and get all your clothes are wet. So put them in the sweet bag. With you. It keeps you, your... you mean to tell me there might be Boy Scouts out there who didn't know that? Well, they just haven't done 100 nights of camping, that's all. My faith is riding on this. <laughs> So there, so there. Okay. So, all right. So now you're gonna tell me, but I had a, I had a sidetrack here. No, you didn't sidetrack. I asked you about weather, and you told me about weather. I, I need you. to hear from other people about weather, and then we've got a bunch of fun stuff for tonight. All right. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Blizzards, storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, hail. Um, what is, what is the post office through? Through wind and snow. We, wind, hail, uh, we, well, sleet and snow, or <laughs> yeah. snow, and wind and hail and sleet and snow and, <laughs> and snow and hail and sunshine and all that kind of stuff. Hello there, call you on with Patricia. Well, hello, Fred. Hello, how you doing, Hi. Fred? How are you? You gotten up? What are you doing up so early? What this? are you doing up? <laughs> <laughs> the I'm up, I'm up this early too. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't sleep till about two. And then you get up and, and serve coffee for us. This is, I think that's really nice of you to do that. Yeah, well, you know. So you going to be up when I wake up in the morning? You going to still be on? Sure. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Patricia and I have any place to go. Okay. We'll be here. You know we'll be here. 30, so, you know. So tell me about weather. Oh, all kinds of weather. Well, you're up in Vermont. I'm from a kid. I, I tell this all the time to people. We seem to get a lot less snow now than we used to get. No kidding. Yeah, a lot less. I can remember when I was a kid, every Christmas vacation, we would have enough snow outside that we could dig snow tunnels. I mean, you need a lot of snow for that. Um, you, you know, because you have to dig that we would we would dig holes in the snow and make rooms yeah and we would dig tunnels between the rooms wow so so you're telling this would be underground kind of stuff right yeah yeah under under the snow they're actually making tunnels. The snow, yeah wow and um, and i can also remember as a kid that from about the middle of december until the middle of the beginning of march anyway my mom would 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 complain and and yell because she couldn't pull out of our driveway because we couldn't see because the snow banks were so high. Oh wow! And that just doesn't happen anymore, you know. And and I can remember we used to get, you know, now they cancel school if they get six inches of snow. 
I could, we would get six inches of snow two, three times a week. That was nothing. Fred, is this the truth, or is this like our parents and grandparents would say, and I had to walk five miles to school and eight... I'll tell you, this is what I remember. It was for real? And I can remember now, there's more often than not, at Christmas time, we got little, very little, if any, snow. You know, um... You know why? I, I don't know why, unless it has something to do with the greenhouse effect. Didn't you know I was going to ask? Um, I would I would assume it has something to do with the greenhouse effect. There's, but there's definitely a climate change. That There's no doubt about that in my mind. Yeah. There's a colder than there used to be, and there's not anywhere near the precipitation that we used to get. And you're getting all of our storms this year. When I say you, I mean the entire East Coast. Florida has dodged every single bullet. There was one that tickled the keys, and after that, all of the tropical storms and the hurricanes, everything either bounced up the east coast or floated out to sea. That's true. Which is remarkable, absolutely remarkable. I mean, the islands have, have been drowned, for goodness sakes, you know, Cuba and, the, um, and Haiti and the Dominican Republic. They've been underwater with the tropical storms that have come through, but as soon as they cross the islands, they kind of take a right-hand turn and go out into the Atlantic. Well, something is going on, that's for sure. Very unusual, yeah. So, okay, so you dug tunnels when you were kids. What, what, did you go sledding? Oh, yeah, all the time. Where did you go sleigh riding? Oh, uh, our favorite spot was, uh, out back of my house, there's a trail, and they used to use it for logging. Oh, good deal. And, uh, yeah, it goes out to a pond about, oh, I don't know, maybe a mile and a half back. And about half, and then there's other trails that run off it, but halfway down that trail, there was this hill. And it was a really big hill. It, it, it was probably, it had, it had two corners in it, and then it leveled out into a straightaway. You could go quite a ways. And we would uh, slide down that. Um, like a bobsled trail. The only thing is, you had to be, <laughs> we were a little crazy as kids, and you had to be careful because it was a snowmobile trail. Snowmobiles okay. used it. Huh? You had to like be ready to jump off your sled if you, you know, heard a snowmobile coming, or run it off into the woods or something, otherwise you'd get hit. But. Walden, you see what you've been deprived of all along? Oh, I know. Well, and I did winter camping, too. I heard Walden talking about that. Uh-huh. We did it on a lake, on a frozen lake. You want to talk about interesting? You slept on a frozen lake? I don't like the cold. This was my uh, <laughs> what? My, my college roommate's bright idea. <laughs> what? Oh. Yeah, come on, we're going camping. I went, camping? It's friggin' February. You're nuts. Or January or whatever it was. And he's like, no, we're going. A whole bunch of us. Come on, you got to go. And he talked me into going. And he was, it wasn't really... Cold at night because there was like four of us in this little tent. It was nice and warm in the tent. But boy, when you stepped outside the next morning, let me tell you what, it hit you like a, oh man. It wasn't really, I was surprised how warm it was in the tent. After we all got in there, <laughs> got, got heated, you know. Not of air, but everybody was warm. <laughs> But yeah, it was frozen the bad. We had a we weren't that far out because we had a had we had the we had a bonfire that was on the shore area, and then the tents were set up on like a little bay area. There was like four, like sixteen or sixteen or twenty of us. We had four or five tents, 
There were like four person, four people to a tent. I did it once, and I'll never do it again. Nice, uh, Fred. I always thought that you were one of the brightest people we have in our family. Uh, well, <laughs> I was a college kid. You know, I'm gonna try it once. Just shot that one down for a while. You slept on ice. Walden slept in mud. <laughs> Dear. I have a great camp. I have a great camping story, though. This, this is this is the Hughes top version. In 1979, in April, we had a camporee for all the Boy Scouts participate and had competition. Well, we camped. We started to put up the tents Friday. It started to rain. It wound up being the worst rainstorm I ever saw camping. Uh, so we snuck in four, six people in a four-man tent. And the problem with that, anytime you touch, you touch the wall, water comes streaming in. Oh, gee, and, yes. And then, so it would get to the point, tents were being knocked down. My dad was one of the leaders. He was taking kids up to the rangers and stick them in trailers. And so naturally when my dad got up, uh, he, only, he only brought one pair of pants with him that weekend. He ripped it. So my dad went home, which was 20 minutes away, got himself a new pair of pants and a nine-man tent. That way he made sure the, the boys were going to be dry for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> How many kids were there? Oh, probably generally 30, about 28 to 30 troops were there. You know, generally 500 kids sitting in the, sitting in the mud. I don't know. This is. I never got. I never got it. Even as a kid, I would sleep out. You know. Uh huh. Yeah. But I never got it. And when I got, when I, when I grew up, I even, I even get it less. Like I have an aide who, she comes and work, helps me out three days a week because I have uh, arthritis pretty bad. She so she does helps me with housework and stuff. And she's really, she's a young girl, and she's really into it, and she loves to camp. And I'm always picking on her. She's telling me how, she, you know, in the summer she went to Maine and went camping. And I'm like, let me get this straight. You packed your bags into a truck, drove three hours past probably 500,000 trees to go somewhere north and sleep under a bunch of trees. That's, that, is that it? They said, yeah, that's it. You, you, you don't get it. And I said, no, I don't get it. I said, you left a perfectly good bedroom with... Went to sleep on a lake. You yeah, to sleep on, you know, sleep out in the middle of a bunch of... You know, first of all, what's wrong with all the trees you drive getting there? Why don't you sleep under one of those? Um, I do believe that in with a sense of fairness, you ought to tell her you slept on a frozen lake. Well, that was just because I was dared to. <laughs> mind just because you did it. <laughs> you know, I was a college kid. They, you know, you got to give me leeway for that. College kids don't think. You're right. You're right. Dude. You have to give. <laughs> now, did you go ice fishing? What? I mean, how that? How did that work? See, there is the only sport on earth that's stupider than ice fishing is skiing. <laughs> We're going to get a couple of calls about that one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, my, I had a girlfriend in college, and she always wanted me to go skiing because we got free skiing lessons. Uh huh. Like, no way. I'm freezing now. You want me to go up on top of a mountain? Where it's colder and come down at uh -huh. 30 miles, 40 miles an hour? Yeah, with sticks on your feet. Yeah, I don't think so. No, I'll pass. I'll wait for you in the lodge, just ski all you want, and then come in. Okay, you're redeeming yourself now. Yes. You no, are no, redeeming. No, ice fishing, too, that's another one. Sitting out in the middle of a friggin' frozen lake watching little tip ups <laughs> go up and down. No, thanks. 
No, I don't think so. <laughs> I got better ways to spread my days, I'll tell you. Uh, I have an envelope here for you, and I'd like to put another CD in it for you. Well, you know how many work are you? Well, <laughs> in, in terms of what? In terms of what you were going to find. Oh, I'm not sure. I, I missed something here. What? You were going to find true ghost stories, remember? Oh, I was? Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. What did I do here? I did. I've got ghost stories here. You do? Okay. The envelope that's that's here. Let me see what I got. I, I'm not sure that all of them are ghost stories, but I did the best I could, and it says there should be some pretty good ones in here, but you don't. I don't know how many are ghosties. But it's in there. I did it. Good. I'd like a gold star, please. Got it. Okay. Now, you're, I have really some great questions this week. Are you ready? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'll try. Oh, yes, you are. Okay. Would you like... Um, how about Richard Diamond? What was Richard Diamond's occupation? He was a private detective. He was a detective. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I will send you, Fred, I will send you a CD if you promise to make it a little bit more normal. What is, though? Normal isn't fun for you, is it? No, it isn't, but okay. Well, that's all right. You know, I, I can't make, I can't have great expectations from somebody who went to sleep on a chunk of ice. <laughs> yeah, you can. I can? Sure you can. Uh, how about, you know what I don't have? What? I'd like to have, and it's easy, I'll give you a break this one time since, you know, it is Halloween. <laughs> and I got my ghost stories. How about some Beat the Clock? Beat the Clock? Yeah. Good grief. That's going to be the only show I don't have. I will find it. Okay. Is Beat the Clock out there, Walden? Um, I don't think so. Truth or Consequences will work. Truth or Consequences will work. I have I have a bunch of those, so I know Patricia can find those. And Beat is there a radio version of What's My Line? Yes. Yes. I'll take that, too. What's My Line? How about Break the Bank? I know there, there's some of those out there. Sure. He's the young man. <laughs> Walden, get, the, get a grip here. <laughs> Break the Bank? Break the bank. I'm I'm asking you to, to control yourself. I have to find all these things. <laughs> Break well, the bank. It, okay. Yeah, because I think if beat the clock, if there's if there's out there, it wouldn't be it'd be very few. Okay. If I don't even out there. If it's even out there, I I just know what's my lines out there. I know uh, there is beat break the bank. Okay. Uh, there's 20 questions. Uh, 20 questions there, a radio show on that? Sure was. Started out as, as, started out as a radio show. Okay. Now, in fact, what I have here is a collection of... Two shows, period. Work. Say what? Collection of game shows. Well, that's what I'm, I'm... I have quiz shows here, and they're, they're just kind of collections. I've got two Can You Top This, and I've got two Double or Nothing. I've got one Dr. IQ. I got a whole bunch of these, so you'd have a whole buffet. Can I send you a buffet? Yeah, you could. What about Quiz Kids? Quiz Kids? Oh, I've got Quiz Kids. got loads of Quiz Kids. I don't know if you sent me those yet or not, but you can send them again. They did. Um, I don't recall that anybody ever asked for the Quiz Kids. One kid, one person asked for Quiz Kids. Okay. Yeah, that was a good show. Quiz Kids. Okay, you've got Quiz Kids. Thank you for asking for one that I've got. <laughs> 
and if there's room, I'll put the other ones on there, too. Okay. Well, how close are you to San Francisco or Um, eight hours away. Oh, that's a haul, huh? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I I have family I have family who live in Oakland, which is the next door over. Yeah. And right now this is the weekend of Bucercon, the mystery convention up in San Francisco. Oh. And it's Which is the Giants playing yeah. Philadelphia right now. They just won the first second first game of the series. Ah, uh, not bad. Yeah. I see the Yankees lost today. Yeah, yeah, that'll make Mike happy. Yep. Yep. S words. S words all over the place, S words. Huh? Huh? <laughs> huh? huh? Gee, anyway. I'm doomed tonight. I am just doomed. Okay. Well, you did. You did good, Richard Diamond. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a good question. Those are my my kinds of questions. Questions. Okay. <laughs> I've got I've got some interesting ones, and when we're finished talking, I will toss a couple of them out there. And as always, Googling is acceptable, so if uh, there's an intriguing question and you want to find out the answer, you can Google, but you got to have the answer when you call in. Well, I'll do that, and I'll be listening. Oh, oh by the way, our mountains got nine inches of snow already. Your what? Well, that's why I don't like your topic tonight. It's making me nervous. Your ma- the mountains got nine, yeah. The Killington, which is like a half hour from me, got nine inches, got nine inches of snow this weekend. Oh, this is not good. Well, it's not good at all. But it's inevitable. Oh, but anyway, well, you guys have a good night. Okay, we'll talk to you later when you're up to make the coffee. I might just do that. <laughs> hey, Fred, thanks for calling. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Fred. Bye. Hey, I got something here. Let me just, let me just see what this is all about here, Patricia. Doo-doo. Truth or Consequences. The Radio Years, 1940 to 1954, as remembered by its creator and host, Ralph Edwards. All right, here's a little question for you. Uh, you miss it, and you'll look well in custard. Uh, <laughs> it's an extremely easy question, Mr. Miller. You can answer it with only one word. Now, listen carefully. Tell me why. <laughs> Sorry, you haven't told the truth, so you must pay the consequences. <laughs> Place this rope around your ankles over here. We're going to string you upside down. Ladies and gentlemen, those three people who just went off stage are two brothers and a sister who haven't seen each other in around 40 years. Mother. <laughs> You were so fast in choosing the man you thought was Groucho Marx that you completely overlooked this man sitting right next to your husband, one of Hollywood's great stars. What is your name, sir? Ronald Reagan. Hit him with a pie! Let him have it! Your golf ball is all set up outside our NBC studios right here at the corner of Sunset and Vine Streets in Hollywood, but the hole you're aiming for is in the uh, city of truth or consequences, New Mexico, exactly 823 miles away. Aren't we devils? And I should play that sometime, The History of Truth or Consequences. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. You get a point for that one. Oh, good. Yeah. We're talking about weather tonight. 714-545-2071. What kind of weather systems have you been caught in? Rain, snow, sleet, hail, wind, 
hurricanes, blizzards, snowstorms. Um, Have Patricia ever gone skiing? Never. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> I'm the one who gets cold when it's 68 degrees. <laughs> I know it. That's why, that's why I'm thinking my poor Patricia who's only gone camping in the cabin. I'm wondering if she's ever gone skiing. <laughs> Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Hello, this is Rich Greenberg. How are you this evening? Hi, Rich. It's How are you doing? to hear from you again. How are you doing? Doing great, thank you. I just, uh, before I tell you my weather story and uh, just lowered my radio, I just got to tell you that Johnny Western show a week or so ago was excellent. I had no idea just how experienced the fellow was, and uh, great stuff, great stuff. Thank you very much for sharing that. Oh, he was just wonderful. I agree with you. Um, we, we just couldn't have asked for a better guest. I'd say so. Excellent. Very, very nice to hear. So you want to hear a weather story? I want to hear a weather story. It ain't snow. It's <laughs> Hurricane Floyd. It's 1999. Huh? I'm, un I'm in my office in West Patterson, New Jersey, with my friend Mark, who owns the business, and it's raining, and it's blowing. And we're in a place that doesn't normally flood. At least we didn't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you look out in the parking lot, and it's maybe four or so in the afternoon, five in the afternoon, and parking lot's getting a heck of a lot of water in it. And, geez, I, I never saw it get water in it before. Seems there's a stream that's off the property that, uh... Well, we get the phone call from my parents in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey, saying you've got to evacuate. So they're going to leave the house and go to the local school, which is the shelter for the night. And, gosh, I don't leave my 83-year-old father and 70-something-year-old mom there. So my friend Mark and I are getting ready to leave the office. And I say, you know, before we go, why don't we pick up the computers and anything of value and stick it on top of the desks? And he says, why? There's no reason to do that. Uh, just in case, let's just do it. Okay. So we unplug all the computers and go through the motions and printers and everything valuable, the lower drawers of the filing cabinets, and we go off to my parents' house. The water's already ankle-deep in the basement. Oh, my. And we're starting to pick up furniture, and we're lifting things, and we put it all up on cinder blocks as much as we could and carried as much as we could upstairs. And little did we know that when I came back to the house the next day, there'd be four or five feet of water in the basement. Oh, oh my God. Gosh, and this is an area that had not flooded. Well, the, the, by the office didn't, but by my parents' house in my childhood, the thing had never flooded. But in 84, there was a flood, so we, we had reason to think it might happen again. Yeah. Well, what kind of a storm came through? This was Hurricane Floyd. Oh, boy, do I remember Floyd. <laughs> Doozy. So we drove to the shelter in my Jeep, which has a good ground clearance, and picked up my parents, and Mark and I and my parents were heading back to the girlfriend's house, which was about a mile from that office we started at. It took us an hour and a half to get to the house in what would normally be a 15 or 20 minute drive. Wow. It took us two and a half to three hours to get back because every road that we could try was flooded. And we tried a few where the water got up to about, oh, maybe a foot or two deep and decided this isn't really a good idea. And finally got back towards the office and dropped Mark off about I don't know, a quarter mile from the office. He was in waist-high water at the time. It seems it was a good idea to raise those computers. Mm -hmm. uh, McBride Avenue, which is a block off of the Passaic River, was a river in itself. And I have a fond recollection of Route 46, which had a low section, and the entire eastbound lane was about three feet deep in water. 
was wow. incredible, incredible night. I, I concluded it with dropping the parents at the at the girlfriend's house, driving back as close as I could get to the office, walking in, did I mention the way Steve water? And Mark and I spent most of the night with snow shovels pushing water out of the office through the doorway. It was it was an adventure, one that I'll never forget. Oh, wow. Did you pick all of the right things and get them high enough that you didn't have the kind of damage that you could have had? Amazingly, yes. And to this day, he thanks me for saving the computers. It, it's one of those adventures you just never forget, and it's special that it's shared not just with my parents but with one of my very best friends. So we, we can remember that. And oddly enough, he now works for me in my office, which I'm Oddly enough, sitting at right now, just finished invoicing some orders on the Army billing system and listening in on the program. So I just wanted to share that adventure. <laughs> That's an adventure. Um, I, I just, floodwaters scare me. Gosh, Isn't. no, okay, you can shovel it or you're going to have to hunker down and make do with, uh, you know, a quart of milk for the next 12 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> May I share one other quick story? Sure. Uh, just on the same subject, a different flood. Uh, I live in the, that area that I said normally didn't, but I guess in the last number of years it's it's happened more times than I care to mention. And about 20 years ago, I was uh, working in an insurance office with this nice gentleman named Shelley, who turns out to live only a quarter, maybe a half a mile from my house, uh, closer to the river. And his stepdaughter had recently been divorced, and he said, geez, you, you ought to take her on a date. She's a nice girl. And I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? Well, the Saturday night our date is scheduled, we have a flood. And her house is closer to the river than mine is, and there's three or four feet of water going up to their house. They're in a split level, so the upper part's okay. And I drove a van back then, and I drove my van about three blocks from her house. I had my chest waders with me. And I waded through the water and then knocked on Shelley's door after climbing the front porch, and he came to the door and said, you're such a, and I won't repeat the word, he called me. <laughs> the girl came to the door and she had this look on her face like, you must be nuts. <laughs> no, I thought, well, they told me you were nice, but they didn't say you were nuts. <laughs> Literally, well, I am. But, so, oh, well, she said, how, I, I can't go out with you. Why would you crazy? And I said, what do you mean? She said, how would I get to your car? And I said, simple, I'll put you up on my shoulders. And I was a little younger and stronger then, and much stupider. <laughs> and so it was that Nina climbed up on my shoulders, and I walked the two blocks to my van, which was itself in about a foot and a half of water. And we had a wonderful time. <laughs> it was what a great start. Oh, it's, it's something special to remember. And oddly enough, I hadn't talked to her there for the better part of 20 years. And about a year ago... Uh, Guess who came back into my life briefly, but Nina. <laughs> so it was a small oh. memory. But those are great stories. Yeah, it's fun to fun to share that stuff. You're a waterlogged listener. Yeah, it's crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> Are you in the market for playing trivia with us tonight? Sure, do me. What do you got? All right. What What is your favorite genre? Do you like mysteries, detectives, comedy? What do you like? I've run the gamut. I mean, I'm a fan of Jack Benny's. I'm a fan of the Sherlock Holmes and oh S.S. Van Dyne's and a few other things. But uh, if you're All nine yards. All right. Let's try this one. In which show did the character Osgood Conklin appear? Oh, that's that's our Miss Brooks, of course. He was the principal. Played yes, yes, yes. Gordon. Good. I've... You listen. <laughs> that's 
got different questions tonight, and, and this is terrific. Okay, now you have to tell me, since you like sure. everything, what part of everything can I put on a CD for you? Oh, I don't know. Just, just have fun. Just have fun. Well, give me. I've got loads of Sherlock Holmes. I've got uh, Green Hornet comedies. I've got Jack Benny and Red Skelton and all of the detectives. Um, Fred Allen, Mr. Keen. Ah, history. I got loads of history. I got quiz shows. What would you like? If you have a Holmes with Rathbone or a Shadow with Orson. I have a Shadow with Orson. Either of those would be fantastic. Okay, I am in the process, um, Orson Welles, I have to write this down or you're not going to get the right thing. Um, I'm in the process of separating out Basil Rathbone from my Sherlock Holmes groups because they're kind of all mushed together. So as I, I'll, I'll see how many I can pull out and I will send both because the Orson Welles that I have really don't have all that many Orson Welles. Um, were that many like, done? Like, hmm? Five, but that was great stuff. I just, I, I'm a huge fan of Orson. I, I, well, I've I got was, other Orson Welles stuff. Whatever you find, I mean. I, Let me see what I've got here. Um, well, that's the shadow. I've got Orson Welles on the shadow, but I've got um, some Mercury Theater and um, some stuff. Hey, stop, please. <laughs> I've got something really unusual here. I have got Orson Welles Almanac. And it was a fun show. How about I, I stick the almanac in there, too? That would be awesome. Okay. I, I, nobody's asked for that, and I, I don't know how many people even know it exists, except Walden, of course. Right, hey, Walden? Possibly you bet. a favor for me, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up. You've got me in, in, the, uh, in the membership list as Rich Greenberg in, in New Jersey. But um, just a quick question. I sent an email to, to Kim and, and Bill a week or so ago, and I know they're both very busy, and Kim's had some And who is that? Sherlock Holmes. That's right. Yeah. I, did. I didn't. I didn't um, pull down the um, all of them, but mm -hmm. um, I remember seeing her name there. Yeah. She won the Oscar, and I met her at FOTR, mm -hmm. and then at Melcon 34th, first Natalie won. Used to hey. go. Used to go to Frank Brzee's house. Oh. And uh, in fact. Uh, it, Marine O'Hare uh -huh. was in the, 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 you know, the woman in Miracle 34th. Uh -huh. uh, her gal who runs her website called me last month saying, hey, don't forget to drop a Marine an email. Uh, she lives in Ireland, and I think there's a strong possibility we can get her on the show. <gasps> Wouldn't that be sad? That would be great. Oh, my goodness. So I dropped the email earlier this year, and then her gal who runs her website called me here in September and said, don't forget to drop another email. Uh-huh. So oh, that would be very way cool. That would be cool. We very try to do cool. we try to do cool stuff around here. Yeah, you did. Good. We try. I I just I it surprised me that well who could know in 1947 what was going to happen with movies? But I never I never saw a gentleman's agreement. Well, maybe maybe because of the topic. It was trying to fight anti-Semitic uh, feelings in the country. Yeah. And so it really it really uh. Um, 
it had that edge about it, and I think that was grew people to, and it was starring Gregory Peck. Yeah, and I'm I'm positive it was a fabulous performance. They're they're just I mean you can't walk away with something like that and not be a fabulous m- movie and everything put together correctly. But when you think about the enduring nature of Miracle on 34th Street, we play it every year. We see it every year on television. It is just part of Christmas. And it's with us year after year after year. And it lost out to other movies. Well, I think it's a wonderful life the year before. It was not really a financial success the year Frank Kappa released it. Uh It took the 70s until it found its home. Yeah. You know. Okay, well, the best actor in 1947 in a double life was... Ronald Coleman. Gosh darn it. See, I can't do with anything. And so that was his last big, big picture, and he was pretty much on radio from that point on. He did some other movies, but nothing reached that status again. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad he got an Oscar. He, he was did. He's a nice person. Uh, he was up against Gregory Peck in Gentleman's Agreement right. on that one. And also, William Powell, Life with Father was that year. Okay. Life with Father was originally a Broadway show. Uh-huh. And that born a lot of radio actors starting that show, like kids. Because there were so many kids. Right. So Ben Cooper and Hal Stone and Don Hastings were some kids that really cut their teeth in the show business thanks to that, that play. My goodness. Mm-hmm. See, I can't tell you anything. Oh, yes, you can. So I'll just sit here and listen, okay? No, no. <laughs> okay, in 1947, in the, in the short subject cartoon category. Okay. This is the Oscars now. Mm-hmm. Tweety Pie. Really? Tweety Pie in the Merry Melody series won an Oscar. I don't think I've ever seen it. Wow. A Tweety, I'm assuming it was a character, just the character Tweety Pie, which is the... Um, I was thinking of Sweetie Face. Oh, no, <laughs> not Sweetie Face, no. Tweety Pie is the little canary. Uh-huh, I remember the little bird, you bet. Yeah. I thought I was a putty cat. Oh, I thought a putty cat, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, that's Tweety Pie, and it was a Merry Melodies cartoon series mm-hmm. that won the Oscar. What didn't win that year was Chip and Dale in the Donald Duck series by Walt Disney. I don't remember that one. Hmm, okay. Well, Chip and Dale are the, um, I, I think they were, they were just, um, it looks like they were the characters that were part of a series. Like Tweety right. Pie was part of the Merry Melody right. series. Right. And Chip and Dale was part of the Donald Duck series. Right. And it was Chip and Dale that, was, uh, that were up, was up. Was up. It was up for the Oscar, mm-hmm. and Chip and Dale is the little chipmunks. Chip, they they kind of squeak at each other. Oh. I'm Chip. I'm Dale. I don't remember them at all. Okay. Well, they're they're little chipmunks, and they um they were Walt Disney, and I just didn't think Walt Disney lost to anybody. Yeah. And to James Basket for his what is listed here for his able and heartwarming characterization of Uncle Remus, the friend and storyteller to the children of the world of Disney's Song of the South. And you know what song he, he won? I think it won the Academy Award that year. Yes, it did. Zippity-doo-dah. Yep. 
Zippity doo da, zippity day. Hello, Carl. You are on with Patricia. Patricia is no longer available. Oh, she went out. She went out. And <laughs> she has left the building. She went out and bagged lunch for everybody. <laughs> no, that movie, uh, Song in the South, is no longer available. It, oh, uh, oh, oh. It's actually, it is if you can get the Japanese version. Is it? Have it. Yeah. I you, know what you're saying. Yeah, you got it. I know it got yanked. I know it got wiped out. Yep, but if you go to four markets, you can grab it and watch Japanese captions. I had it on a uh, laser disc. You remember laser disc? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. They go, and uh, it's odd that they will give the uh, subtitles under the songs, but uh, when they speak, uh, they don't they don't put subtitles in them. When you, they, they, I mean, it's translated. It's, it's lip syncs. What I'm trying to say into Cantonese or Japanese or whatever it might be. But when the songs come on, they put the words on the screen. And I guess that's because they can't get any actors to do the songs. You know, they wouldn't sound quite right. So the songs are in English with the subtitles under them, and then the rest of the movie is in uh, with uh, voiceover dubbing huh? of okay. the appropriate language. The reason I know that is because my disc has the you can get listen to either track you want to as to the uh, the language you want to hear it's in english just like it was regionally done but those oh. annoying uh, subtitles come up under every song oh but it's, it still beats not having it because it's a sweet little movie it really it really is, is. it was my, an adorable movie my grandchildren will, will see it you know and i and i loan it to any other people that have grandchildren that might want to see it I hope over time it, uh, the, the sentiment softens and we wind up getting back an, a national treasure. It really is a treasure. It really is. I was going to say, when I was going to, uh, when I left you, I was going to, I had my Dr. Denton's on. <laughs> right. That's, that's your homework. Uh, he's, he's talking to us that he took his Dr. Denton's off. Mm-hmm. Do you know what they are? Dr. Denton? Sure. Yes. What are they? Feet in, the little, little jammies with feet in them. <laughs> they're, they're all one piece. Well, they're not always little. I'm 6'2". Well, <laughs> they got big feet in them. <laughs> they're, I, they're, I, feet. They're, I have Dr. Denton. Well, I think every young lady should have them. I mean, when I was a grown-up, I had them. Well, you're still a young lady, so you should have them still, Patricia. Yeah, you can even, have them still. even used it on Halloween one year. <laughs> <laughs> I used my Dr. Denton's and put a cotton tail on it and had rabbit ears. <laughs> I was a yellow rabbit. Molly Burnett had the uh, Oscar for supporting role as a sidekick. Who was the, <laughs> who was the supporting role sidekick? Smiley Burnett. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He was uh, to Gene Autry. Yeah. He kicked it in the side all season. Oh, yeah. I kid you about Smiley Burnett all the time. Mm-hmm. He was the, the voice on that uh, jingle that was going to have my very own show. That That's right, they, Froggy. They, I'm sorry? Froggy. Yeah. 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 Frog Millhouse. <laughs> you got Back me, huh? Couldn't, couldn't resist talking about Song of the South. I had to put in my two cents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my editorial two cents. Hope I didn't slow things down. Heck no. You liven it up. Nope. Okay. Well, you got me up for the rest of the day, I think. <laughs> we have a tendency to do this to people. I think coffee and toast are about appropriate. Yeah, c- c- cinnamon toast, right? Uh, yeah, I do like it. Yeah, I there like you go. It. I don't think I have it. There you go. Oh, I have cinnamon. I'll pass it over. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Throw it all the way across the state. <laughs> You're quite welcome. 
I've got something someday that I'm going to play for you by that, that uh, Paul Harvey did that will make Patricia jealous. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What? Yeah, I, I, it's going to be a secret to hear. Oh. Gee. <laughs> this is going to well, be good. And it's a Paul Harvey? Stay tuned. It's the Paul Harvey. Mm. The late Paul Harvey. Okay. And uh, but stay tuned. Next week probably we'll do it. Wow. Okay. There's your hook, cliffhanger. Yeah. There you go. Okay. See you guys later. All right, no one. I'll be Bye-bye. here. Bye bye. Who are the radio shows like cliffhangers besides Yesterday USA and Patricia? Show. He's gonna get me. I know it. <laughs> I just know it. Yeah. Yeah. You're such That's a good. You're such a good audience because you laugh. Fred got me with ghost stories. I know. No one's going to get me with Paul Harvey. How can he get me with Paul Harvey? He was such a gentle person. I know. That's it. Page two. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Okay, so we covered the Academy Awards. Let's see if we can get somebody to call in because I've got other 1947 stuff. 714 2071, 1947. 1947. I love it. Great, my dad's favorite song came out that year. And it was? Uh, Linda. Was in 1947? Uh-huh, that was 1947. Oh, my goodness. And those of you who may or may not know, Buddy Clark, who was three years later killed in a car ac- uh, plane accident in L.A., uh, wrote this for the daughter of a, his lawyer, and the and the lo- the daughter uh, was Linda Carpenter of the Beatles. You know, she married into Paul McCartney. I mean, married Paul McCartney, Linda McCartney. Mm-hmm. So she was four years old or so, and he wrote the song, named it after her. Oh, you told us that I one know. night. It's a great song. And I forgot it. Uh, it's a great song. Oh. Walden, we have to do something with my brain. Here. No, you, 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 fix it. You, no, no. Fix it, Walden. Fix it's it now. No, it's good. I love it anyway. Can I tell the same story <laughs> once every three or four months? And you're a great audience. It saves me work. Oh, you, you love my broken brain. I love your broken brain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well here's here's something from 1947. All right. Frank Lavecchio had his first million-selling hit. That's my desire. Oh, Frankie Lane. You got it. Yeah. Good. That's mine. Got you with Frank, with Frank yeah. Lavecchio. Yeah, that's, huh? that caught me there for a bit. Just for a second. That Boy, you weren't far behind there. Yeah. Okay, here we go. By the end of the year, in radio, 1,962 stations, most of them AM, mm-hmm. were up and running, and the... Uh, the numbers were increasing on the FM band. That was pretty good. That's you know how many stations we have today, the last number of off? I don't have a clue. And you told us, too. Wait a minute. 20,000. Oh, no, that was... Yeah, I'll say 20,000. What I, what I saw is over 10. 10,000. Well, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, were you good? I'm only 100% off. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 100% is good in today's dollars. <laughs> Gee whiz. Okay, President Truman, in 1947, created a new cabinet position. Hmm. Want to take just a shot? Uh, I, th- I think it was the, I think I know, it was the Defense Department. Yes, the Secretary of Defense. Mm-hmm. Here we are, 
after World War II, we're just getting a Secretary of Defense. Yep, because if you think, away. Because if you think about it, during World War II, we had a Secretary of the Army, Secretary of the Navy. Oh, that's right. They it, put them all together under uh-huh. one. Got it. And that's why we did it that way. Okay, well, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Okay, I feel better now. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> all right, what was the original name of Hoover Dam? I've heard it. I just don't remember it. It was Boulder Dam. That's right. It's and no President problem. Truman changed it from Boulder Dam to Hoover Dam, but somebody named Walden called me when I was just about to go out and look <laughs> up why it got changed, and I didn't, so now I have more homework to do. Homework! Homework! Why they changed it. Still yeah. call it we why still President Truman would have changed it. We still call it Boulder Dam around here once in a while, though. Yeah, huh. I mean... Oh, well. I thought it was an incorrect listing because I had heard... Boulder Dam used repeatedly, and I went out and checked that, and by golly, Boulder Dam became Hooper Dam in 1947. Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier. Ah, yes. Didn't realize it was in 1947, so it was a little later. That's pretty good. I think so, too. Jackie Robinson. Yep, broke the color barrier in baseball. In 1947, right. April 1947, and he was in the National League. With the Brooklyn Dodgers. With yeah. the Brooklyn Dodgers, and a couple of months later in July, the American League got its first black player, mm-hmm. Larry Doby. With the Cleveland Indians. With the Cleveland Indians. And who owned the Cleveland Indians, Patricia? Okay, all right, now, uh, say what? Who owned the Cleveland Indian back then? Back then, mm-hmm. the Cleveland Indians. In 1947? Mm-hmm. I don't have a clue. You sure do. I do. Think of radio. It wasn't me. I know. Was that the one Gene Autry? No. Nope. No. He owned the Angels later. But in 1947? I don't know. Who do that? Bob Hope. Bob Hope owns the Cleveland? Are you kidding me? I'm telling you the truth. Bob Hope owned the Cleveland Indian, and while Bing Crosby owned the Pittsburgh Pirates. Isn't that a hoot? Yeah. My goodness, they were on the road. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, which team did Red Barber announce for? He announced for the Dodgers. This is incredible. And who did Mel Allen announce for? For the Yankees. This is terrible. Uh, I have to... <gasps> did my goodness. Did I should have stuck with Joker and Buckshot with you. <laughs> you know, if you if you had gone something like in the 60s, I'd probably be dead. But at least in the 40s, I got a chance. Oh, well, but we're not going to talk about the 60s. I know. We don't have any fibber shows I in know. the 60s. I know. Okay, here's another one. The first World Series to be televised was in 1947. Mm-hmm. Dodgers and Yankees. And was best known for Joe DiMaggio hitting the wrong fly the center field that Joe Alfredo caught when he jumped on top of the wall. That's what that World Series is known for. Also, there was a no-hitter. Um, there was a no-hitter pitch by the Yankees with, with two outs, and, and Cookie Lavigetto broke it up for the Dodgers. So that's what that World Series is known for. Yankees still won it. I'll shut my mouth. The Yankees won it. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> okay, now this stuff, I know, I know I got you on this stuff. All right. In 1947, how much did a copy of Time magazine cost? Oh, yeah, I think you do got me. I would guess 10 cents. You're darn close, 20 cents. Wow, wow. How much was a Nash sedan? 
ballpark. Thirty-five hundred. Oh, the Nash was only nineteen hundred. Huh. Okay. A okay. Cadillac. Mm -hmm. How much was a Cadillac? Well, let's put that at four thousand. Darn close, forty-seven hundred. Wow. That was very good. So, what kind of car we're we going to have in nineteen forty-seven, Patricia? You and I. Uh huh. In nineteen forty-seven. Uh huh. Anything that runs. Okay. Anything. Okay. Because there weren't very many of them. I know. <laughs> which is why we had the second show, which we're probably not going to get to tonight. Um, the second show was Fibber and Molly out shopping for a new car, which That's was true. 1947. That's true. And um, they were shopping for a used car because you couldn't buy a new car because new cars were still as rare as frog fur. Mm. How's that one? Good. It's good. Yeah, it's rare as frog fur. Because the manufacturers went during the war, they went exclusively to manufacturing trucks and jeeps and uh, all of the military vehicles that right. needed for the war, and there were no cars produced. So Tibber and Molly were out shopping for used cars, and that wow. was a big deal. Yep, that's true. A mega big deal. That's Let's see true. what else we've got. Got the Academy Awards. Got 1947 nose. Let's see, 1945 Academy Awards. 1945 Academy Awards. Because our other show was going <laughs> to be in 1945. All right. Um, I guess this one. Going my way won the Oscar. Uh, for even though if you count if you count the movie, it came out in 44, but won the the 40. The Oscar March of 1945, March 15th of 1945. In 1945, um, it says Lost Weekend. Oh yeah, well, okay, that came out in 45, and they gave the they gave the Academy Award in 46. Okay, I can understand how they they came about. Oh, well, when it says 1945 Academy Awards, those aren't the ones that are given out that year. No, well, no, I think they always give out when they give the award ceremony for the previous year. Oh, the, well, the movies would have been for the previous right, year. Right, right, okay. yeah. Got so, it. okay, so, I, so Raymond, Ray Milan Ray uh -huh. probably won the Oscar that year for Best Actor, I bet. Yes, he did. Yeah. One of the people who was up against him was Bing Crosby in The Bells of St. Mary's. Bells of St. Mary's, yeah. And that one is an enduring one it, as well. It sure is. Lost Weekend won. Bells of St. Mary's was up for the Best Motion Picture right. as well. Best Actress was Joan Crawford in Mildred Pierce. Ah, that was her long-awaited Oscar she was hoping for. She didn't make the ceremony. She was so scared that they presented to her in bed. Are you serious? Yep. Because I knew, I believe she was up for something in 1947. And she lost out on that one, yeah. the one that I just read, but I didn't have the uh, the actress there. Yeah. But this is uh, this is really interesting because uh, Bills of St. Mary was up for Best Motion Picture. Mm -hmm. It was up for Best Actor with Ben Crosby, and it was up for Best Actress with Ingrid Bergman. Oh, yes. And it lost across the board. Yep. And I would say it's more of a classic movie than No Herder 2. Yeah, but I have to say, Mildred Pierce was a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Absolute piece of art. Okay, short subjects in the cartoon mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. Was Quiet Please with the Tom and Jerry series? It was a Tom and Jerry cartoon. I, I'm, I, I know Tom and Jerry. Never, huh, that's 
Interesting. Okay. Was it was up again, or these are the ones right. that went up against it. Donald's Crime, a Donald Duck series mm -hmm. from Walt Disney. I want you to tell me how many of these you recognize. All right. These were up for Oscars. <laughs> Jasper and the Beanstalk. And I it was think part I, of the I, George Pal Puppetoon Jasper series. I bet I've seen it. I seem to remember some Beanstalk cartoons, but okay. Jasper and the Beanstalk. Hmm. Okay. okay. Life with Feathers, a Merry Melody series. I don't remember that at all. Okay. Mighty Mouse in Gypsy Life. Now, Mighty Mouse, I know. Yep. It's Terry Toon. Yep. And, oh, look at that. Paul Terry was the producer. Terry Toon. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. and the Poet and the Peasant. Lance Technicolor. I guess mm. that would be Walter Lance. All right. Uh, it, oh, yeah, there it is. Um, Walter Lance Productions. I have no idea what The Poet and the Peasant was. And Rippling Romance. Color Rhapsody series. Whatever that was. So all of these things were up for Academy Awards, and we don't recognize any of them. That's true. You know, back in those days, sometimes they nominate 10 to 15 songs for the Academy Awards. Uh-huh. Now I think they're down to three. Wow. It just tells you the quality, you know. I mean, the list that I saw up there, they just went on and on and on and on and on. I mean, like, songs and special effects. Oh, yeah. You know, but the songs, they, it, would, it would take a city block to... <laughs> you know, to collect all of the songs. There were a lot. And in the special awards category, the outstanding child actress of 1945 went to... How about Margaret O'Brien? No. That's a good guess, though. Mm -hmm. Peggy Ann Garner. Garner, okay. What, what do we know her for? We know her... For, well, she won, I think, a special actor a couple years later for Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, but we know her for, I think, the movie run, uh, Junior Miss. Either Junior Miss or A Date with Judy, one of those, one of those shows. Okay. I, I recognize the name, but I have yeah. no idea why. I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's Junior Miss. It's what we know her for the movies, and then, uh, Tree Gross in Brooklyn, for a few years later. I trust you. That's okay. I, I am fallible. I can be caught. I trust you. I know. I mean, I really trust you. <laughs> <laughs> it's really okay. Mm -hmm. Let's see what we got for 1945 here. 1945 Academy Awards, 1945. We got, oh, I pulled a whole bunch of stuff in there. We don't need that. So, anyway, that's my 1947. That's my 1945. And um, I think we did pretty well there. Like, oh, I didn't give you the um, the income. The income. Oh, good. Where do I have income? Around here somewhere. <laughs> Don't go away. Probably more than what you and my you and I make today, probably. Oh, gee, it was it was devastating. It was yeah. just unbelievable. Yeah. Let's see, income, income, income. Give me, give me, give me, give me. My dad can remember in the late forties. Yeah, the goal was if you can make five thousand dollars a year, you were doing big time money. You were doing big time. Yeah. Let's see if we separated by date. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, here it is. Median income. And this would be nineteen forty five. Oh, I've got something for you too. Median income in nineteen forty five. Now median is in the middle. People right. 
tend to get this mixed up. It is that median income is not the average income. Basically, the median means everybody's 50% above and 50% below. That is, that is correct. It's mm -hmm. like the median in a roadway. Mm -hmm. um, so the median in 1945 was $2,379. I was going to say 2500 So, wow. It would have been very close. Mm -hmm. Very close. So that means half the people were making more, half the people were making less, mm -hmm. and the dead center folks were right there. Okay, let's see now. We got a cost of a of a gallon of gas. Uh, eighteen cents. I have fifteen cents. Wow, that's still pretty so good. Again, again, <laughs> on the internet, so it has to be true. Well, it has to be. Yeah, but I I cross referenced and I got most of these, um, at at least most of them cross referenced, like the the annual right. wages. But I did okay. And you cross referenced on the internet. Cost, yeah. mm -hmm. And you did all all on the internet. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Okay. Now, again, I'm going to use the word average because that's what was printed up there. But, again, people use average and median interchangeably, and it's not really correct. But it says that the average cost of a new home was? $7,000. I have one figure that says 4600 and another that says 10000 Uh-huh. I believe them. I'm going to say that the median was 4,600. That makes sense to me. Because um, mm -hmm. I heard stories in my family back in the 1940s. Some one of them bought a house that had been in uh, foreclosure, mm -hmm. and it was a three-bedroom house that was on a nice piece of property with, um, you know, a, a full basement, and it. Um, it was forty-eight hundred dollars, so I'm thinking that that's probably in the in the right ballpark. Ballpark. Oh, I love the way she said that. That's her New York. Oh, I said a I said an S word. <laughs> that's, her, that's her New Yorkie that came out there. Everybody could call ballpark. Ballpark. Did I say the right ballpark? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, didn't I? Well, you had you had that New York accent going on that one. The little ballpark. Uh huh. Oh, now I have to add a third word. There are two words that give me a fuss all the time. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know anyway. Yeah. Okay. A loaf of bread. Ten cents. Nine cents. That's very yeah, good. Bro. Now, milk surprised me, mm -hmm. and I found this number uh, in several different places. It was still uh, price-controlled in 1945. Mm -hmm. What was the gallon of milk? 35 cents. How much? 35 cents. 35? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Yeah. No, it says 62. Wow. And I'm, I was really surprised. Wow. I thought that was an awful lot, and the... It wasn't the Dairymen's Association, and it might have been a regional association, were really pushing to get price controls off milk so that they could increase the prices. And I thought 62 cents a gallon for milk in 1945, that's pretty pricey. Big time stuff. But, again, I don't know how many people have milk bottles, and I don't know how many milk was in a bottle. Everything was in a bottle. Uh-huh. 62 cents a gallon. I don't know. Yeah. And I would have thought that they would give a quart price. But, of course, you divide that by four. That's, that's 15 cents. 15 cents a quart. I guess that would be okay, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's true. Hmm. I have to think about that one. Okay. okay. First class postage in 1945. Uh, three cents. 
three cents. Yeah. Good. Now, the stock market. I didn't go back to the stock market to mm -hmm. check this one. Okay. So I'm, you have to throw a bunch of salt over your shoulder with it. What was the stock market in 1945, the average Dow Jones? Two numbers in my head. I said 300 or 100. So I'll, I'll go with three. Well, then I'll have to believe this number. It was 152, according to what I've got here. Okay. Does that sound right? It might be. Amazing. It might be. Amazing. Remember when we had the stock market boom in, in 1982 when we started a whole big run? What you remember what the price started off with in the stock market? No. Seven hundred and seventy. Are you kidding me? No. And that that shot rockets all over the place. Yeah. When it hit best when it hit a thousand. And then what happened? Well, we kept climbing, climbing, climbing. Because you think about it, from nineteen eighty two to twenty five years later, I guess. We had a a run from uh, 700 some odd point to over 11,000. I'll shut my mouth two times. Yeah. My goodness. Okay. We're into the entertainment medium here. All right. In 1945, how many homes had television sets? 300. It says 5,000. Mm. Okay. And I believe that. That's a, mm -hmm. you know that that would be right because mm -hmm. by the time 1948 and 49 came around, uh, you know Fred Allen was already yammering about right. it. Well, commercially, people really talk started to talk about 19 by 1948. Mm -hmm. So I figured in 45 these were experimental TV sets around around New York City and different places, but I never thought it'd be 5,000. I thought the number was kind of low for 1945. Oh, okay. Well, okay, we balance it out then. See, this is an average, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> he says no, I say yes, and the averages, we're right in the middle. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, you can't trust averages. Median is always a better number to work with. Now, you sent something for 1909. Yes. Radio started in San, San Jose, California in 1909. Right. Well, you sent me this entire. Oh, that's list. right. That little article. Yes. Uh huh. It was an article. Well, what I I got stuck on. I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on 1909, but what I did find was wheat pennies. The value of wheat pennies in 1909. Wheat pennies. A wheat penny. W h e a t. It's the old old pennies. Oh, okay. If you had if you had a 1909 penny. Mm -hmm in your hands mm -hmm. right now, and 1909 was apparently one of the years that is really a good one to look at. How much do you think just a plain old vanilla 1909 penny would be? Uh, 35 cents. A dollar 15. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Huh. Okay, 1909. Now, where did, oh my goodness, look at that. See, I did have another set of information. Gosh darn it. And we're going to have to find it. DDB. Um, VDB. Yes. What does VDB mean? D, just give me the uh, acronym. D as in David? V as in Victor. Uh huh. D as in David. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at two different VD. things here. Yeah, that's right. Victor David. Benny. 
DVB. Well, I guess it's not underwear, right? No, it's no. <laughs> <laughs> the letters are, are a different arrangement. <laughs> oh, gosh. No I, no, I have to find this. Gosh darn it. Look at this. 1947, the year. Well, oh, well. Patricia's not giving out underwear at the moment. That's well, I'm not giving out underwear, but it's got something really interesting to do with the penny. And I found all of this fabulous information. Cost of a new house, cost of gas. Maybe this is it. Oh, here it is. Okay, so you know, you know, stick with me, kid. I'll have, <laughs> I'll have you. I will always be with you, Patricia. Till the I'll end. I'll have you talking double. Till the okay. end of time. So, in 1909, the plain vanilla penny today is worth a dollar fifteen. A 1909 VDB penny is worth $9. Now, VDB, mm -hmm. I had to really do some hunting for this. It says near, it, it, it's the, these are the initials of Victor David Brenner, who was the designer who made the uh, die for the penny, Lincoln's head. Wow. So wow. apparently this guy was a little bit of an egotist, because mm -hmm. when you turned the penny over, it was like a billboard with, with VDB on the back of it. He, he signed his own work on a coin, which I thought was pretty cool, <laughs> except nobody else did. So that was in 1909, and in 1909 they made him take it off. But in 1918, the initials came back, and the description by the uh, new, do do new miss. You know that, that name? Uh-huh. Yes. Okay, that one. Um, it's in tiny letters. It says, extremely tiny letters under the fold of Lincoln's coat on the front, where they remain in coins that have been struck ever since. So wow. in 1918, they allowed the initials to return. Wow. They're buried somewhere in Lincoln's coat, but I'll be done. I took out pennies. I mean, I've got pennies on my desk. I have pennies. Hear that? Those are pennies. And I am struggling with a magnifying glass trying to find those letters, and I cannot. They're talking about very, very tiny. Well, the best that I could do... You're saying they're itty bitty wee 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 small? And there must be a thousand times multiplication that I'm looking at right now. And the best that I can do is that Lincoln is wearing a tie with his suit jacket, and it looks like the tie, which is very, very tiny on this, it looks like the tie may be made out of letters. So I'm thinking maybe that's where the letters appear because I'll be darned. I can't find it anywhere else. I cannot find them. So somebody who is in coin collecting, please one day soon give us a call and tell us where to look for these initials. So 1909S penny, which was minted in San Francisco, is worth $47, mm -hmm. but a 1909SVDB penny with the initials emblazoned on the back of it is worth $550. One boy. So you have to go pennies. around checking the pennies. backs of your pennies, not, not the fronts. So in 1945, you've got a 1945 penny. What is it worth? 85 bucks. 1945? Mm-hmm. Worth three cents. 
Well, hey, you tripled your money in 65 years. <laughs> Isn't that discouraging? <laughs> and a 1945D penny for the Denver Mint is worth how much? Two cents. Three cents. Three cents, okay. Yep. And a 1945S penny for San Francisco? Five cents. Four cents. Oh. So, I mean, you could save these things until your great-great-grandchildren mm -hmm. are all grown up, and you might make seven cents. Hey. 19, 1947 was the same. A penny earned is a penny saved? <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm still going to go around collecting pennies. <laughs> they do add up. They do add up. I know. Anyway, Victor that. David Brenner designed Lincoln's image for the coin, and it was for the issue of Lincoln's 100th birthday. Mm. Wow. But, but he was born in 1809. That's right. And so in 1909, they cast these new coins. Mm -hmm. I guess before, they were the Indian head pennies. And um, that's how we got the Lincoln coins with the VDD emblazoned wow. on them on the back. And then they got transferred to the front, and somebody had better help me find this. I mean, I've got pennies on my desk. And I thought, well, maybe this one's dirty. Or, well, maybe <laughs> they're just not there. I cannot find them. So... Average cost of a new house, we already did that one. Right. Average wage, cost of a gallon. A man's shirt, the average cost of a man's shirt, which is dumb because you can buy shirts. Uh -huh. in $3. Pardon? $3. You're close. It, it's listed as 250 mm. which seems pretty pricey for 1945 when you're only making $2,400 a year. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's a lot of money. Big money. That is a lot of money. So those pennies should be worth something. So anyway, that's my that's my history for tonight. It's good. We did it. You're so good. We did good. You're so good. Sometimes. You always are. <laughs> See, you can be my fan. I'm always. Yeah, you're the vice president of the fan club, so. I know. I I adore Patricia. You you can you can be my fan. Oh. So mm -hmm. I am at the end of my information here. So what would you like to do? Well, since it is 5.30, I think I'll just remind people that Johnny Western is going to be our guest next week, mm -hmm. the man who sang the Paladin Ballad for Have Gun Will Travel. It's called the Ballad of Paladin. You will recognize it when you hear it. Be with us next week. Johnny Western will be with us, and I think we ought to let Walden go to bed. And there we go. That'll be fun. Would that be fine? That would be fun. I mean, if you want to play the show. It's up to you. <laughs> but I think 5.30 is enough. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's pull up the music. And And I get to say goodnight. I know. Let me get up there. There we go. Go ahead and say goodnight to all the family there. Good night, family. Good night, everybody who's listening. Please call us next week and let us know you're out there. Have a wonderful week. And we love you all very, very much. Good night, everybody. Alden. Yes, my dear. And taken the moon away. It's time to wind up the masquerade. Just make your mind. The piper must...
So by all means, go ahead and send it in. There are people out there, I know they have 8-track tapes. Walden is an 8-track uh, tape person. I don't know. Do you have any left in your collection, Walden? I probably do. They're all boxed up. I, even, I have an 8-track player right behind me here. So by all means, please pack it up if you can do it and send it. Do you have the address from the website? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have your address. I just checked my master list, and I don't know how it happened that I don't have your address. So I'm going to ask you to email it to me. Okay. Okay. My email address. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. It's Florida Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, Florida Writer, at Hotmail. That will be done. And I thank you both very much. And again, the programs have been excellent. I've really enjoyed listening. And especially, and I've, I've mentioned this in the past when I've spoken with Bill, it's, uh, I, I frequently find myself working into the wee hours of the uh, night. And uh, there's nothing better than being able to tune in to you kids and, uh, and getting to hear some stories from some of the listeners. And uh, as I mentioned with uh, some of the programming you've done recently, Excellent, and truly, truly enjoy it. So thank you both very, very much, and to all the uh, nice folks at Yesterday USA, I want to say a great big thank you, and uh, hopefully continued success. How super. Thank you so much, Richard. We've got a special guest coming up at the end of the month. On the 30th, we are going to be talking with Sarah Karloff, Boris Karloff's daughter. So we should have a great deal of fun with her. She's she's just got some wonderful stories. She's fun to talk with and articulate and has some really nifty insights about her dad. So that should be a fun one, too. That is special. <laughs> that is indeed special. I thought Phil Harris's daughter was special, but that's even... <laughs> this one is specialer? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty neat. We're going to we're going to keep trying trying to do Walden has uh, such a wonderful collection of people in his life and and we're just going to keep on trying to do specialer and specialer every month. Okay, uh, just one quick thing I'm going to share and I, I'm going to hang up so that I can uh, I can let you kids get on to the next caller. Yeah. Um, I'm going to send you also by that email. Uh, I'm going to attach a picture. Do you remember the movie A Christmas Story? Do you know Gene Shepard? Oh, I have Gene Shepard. Um, I, I know him because I've got a whole bunch of his shows, okay. and I listen to them periodically. I'm going to send you a picture of Shepard and me standing together. Cool! At him uh, when he was speaking. Uh, he, he did two shows here in New Jersey that I, I got to see, and after one of them, uh, went back and had a nice chat with him, and the girlfriend was kind enough to take a picture, and Gene was nice enough to uh, pose for that. Uh-huh. So I'll send you a picture of me and Shepard. Shepard will be the handsome one. Oh, that, that's fun. Would it be okay if I shared it with my cousin, who is a humongous Gene Shepard fan? Only if you promise to say to that same cousin, Excelsior, you fathead. <laughs> <laughs> and Flick lives a piece out. He's really a nice person. Gee whiz. <laughs> No, he'll he'll get a kick out of that. He um he really enjoys listening to Gene Shepherd. I found a whole bunch of shows for him, and he's really excited about being able to listen to them. So you put that on your list. The next time you call, uh, keep in mind that I do have a bunch of Gene Shepherd shows too. Believe it or not, I've been very fortunate in, in recording a lot of those. Our uh, friend Max Schmidt, who broadcasts sometime on Yesterday USA, uh huh. Max has a show on WBAI New York, and. Uh, for a long time, at 5 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday mornings, I would get up early and turn on the tape machine and, and record those shows. And uh, Max put quite a few of them on the 
because they were available as, as uh, ABA archives, I was able to copy some of those. So Super. A few shows from uh, from Shepard and maybe be able to share some back with you. <laughs> but anyway, let me let you kids get on. I'm sure someone else would like to speak. And again, I thank you both for uh, excellent programming and, and wish you both the very best. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to hear from you again, Rich. Have a great weekend. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hmm, speaking of Orson Welles, what's your desk? You know, there's been some talk here tonight about uh, directors as though they were a separate breed. And I, I'm afraid I have to take exception to that. I, I believe that directors are... are uh, all of them actors, just as I believe that most writers are actors. There never was a community of people who got together and said, why don't we have a theater? We need a theater. Where are the actors? That never happened in the history of the world. A few hams got together and said, let's get up on the stage and do something. In the cave, somebody stood up and told a story. Nobody said, let's have a story, until they'd heard a story. <laughs> and there you go, a little bit of Orson Welles. He was so terrific. I love listening to anything that he did. What a, except, I have to tell you, I, he is my least favorite shadow. He just didn't seem to fit the role. Well... Couple factors, a uh, couple great stories. He couldn't do the laugh. Um, they did a recording. Frank Reddick did the opening, and he was the previous shadow. So they played his recording before and after. Cause that was the laugh. Orson couldn't do it. Uh-huh. And B, Orson was so busy, he never went in and rehearsed. Yeah, I, I knew that he, he was not a rehearsal person. No. He never did. Never did. Uh, one classic story is. He came in, picked up the script, and started to do the show. And half during the middle commercial, he leaned over and asked more, Anis Moorhead and the cat, Hmm, this is a really good script. How does it turn out? <laughs> he was great. He really was great. He had such versatility, and yet he had voice qualities that were the same. Not all of them, but if you listen to Mercury Theater performances, and you listen to The Shadow, and you listen to War of the Worlds, you know it's Orson Welles in there. There's nothing different. I, I, I don't want to say there's nothing different. Of course, there's something different in, in the way he performed, but you knew it was him. You know what his nickname was? No. It came from the radio days. No. He what? picked it up in 1930. Uh, at 12.15, he was the voice of Chocolate Pudding. <laughs> So from that point on until his passing in 1985, his friend lovingly always referred to him as Pudding Face. Oh my goodness. Because he was... You know, the... he had those chubby cheeks. <laughs> Work. So he would... That was his nickname. Oh my. Here is this dignified person. We will serve no wine before it's time. <laughs> and, and they call him Pudding Face? Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> I, I think part of my admiration just melted. Pudding face. Pudding face. Okay, well, 
I, if he could live with it, I certainly can. Yeah. Now there are three surviving, no, four surviving cast members of his Mercury Theater group. We should get one of them on. Wow. Uh, uh, Arthur Anderson just got a new book out. He was part of. He was the little boy in Treasure Island. Uh, he was also the ghost of Christmas uh, past on uh-huh. 38, and then uh, Elliot Reed, who people might remember him as a, as a comedian. He was the best uh, JFK impersonator in the world. He was uh, JFK's favorite one. Um, let's see, Norman Lloyd, who was the director for Alfred Hitchcock plays on TV and was a terrific actor, and then... Uh, I'm trying to think of the gentleman who was the William, and I just had him on a couple of years ago, the last surviving member of the uh, Wars of the World cast. And I'm drawing a blank of his last name for a moment. But anyway, so it's amazing here that 72 years ago, and there's still people who are still with us. I love it. Yeah. I just love it. What an opportunity for me. <sighs> only in America, only on Yesterday USA. Absolutely. 714-545-2071. Make Patricia Day. Give her a call. Say hi. And tell me about a, a weather story. I want to know rain, snow, sleet, hail, hurricane, blizzard, anything. 714-545-2071. I have a flood story. Pardon? I have a flood story. You have a flood story? You didn't even let me talk about a hurricane story. I know. Ed. March 31, 1983. I was checking home with the flu for that week. And I was today we had rain come down. I live about three blocks from my college. Still do. Uh, the college um, system, you know, sewer system backed up. Oh, gee. <laughs> my aunt... Uh, at the time, it was four blocks away, and all the rain started to create a flood throughout the neighborhood, that part of the neighborhood. So my dad and brother took a canoe and went paddling down to visit my aunt's house. A canoe. Anyway, uh, they got swamped by a jeep that drove by. They got there, and uh, you know there was about a foot of water, but that's that's what I remember about a flood. Now, what happened to the sewers backing up? Uh, the, 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 well, they re, they screwed up and they uh, rewrote it, and basically the rain backed into the di- drain, went into the drain, the drain hooked up through the sewer, and it backed up the whole thing. No, no illness, no nothing. So it didn't have anything to do with your dad and your brother. Uh-uh. It was just part of the storm. Just part of the storm. Okay. I'm, I'm so easily confused, Walden. You know, I know that. I know. I know. Okay. Well, we do have some fun stuff tonight. We've got trivia. Mm-hmm. We've got first-time callers get a CD automatically. You do not even have to answer a trivia question. I think that's pretty cool. 714-545-2071. And I've got a bunch of brand-new trivia questions. So... Can I give some trivia questions for people to work on? I thought you were going to give a hurricane story. Well, I'll, I'll do that later because you didn't ask me yet. <laughs> you didn't say, Patricia, do you have a weather story to share? Patricia? Yes, Walden? Do you have any trivia for the listeners? <laughs> yes, I have trivia for the listeners. 
Okay, here we go. I've got a couple of hard ones and a couple of easy ones. Which superhero do these people belong to or do these belong to? We've got Cato, Black Beauty, Britt Reed, and Daily Sentinel. Who do those four things belong to? Next question. Which detective almost never left his residence, never went out in the field, never went out hunting down clues? He stayed home and solved cases. Who was that detective? Then we have, um, and we also have Walden's question coming up. Ooh, boy, do I have you tonight. I got you. I got you. I know I got you, Walden. True or false? In the show Blackstone, the magic detective, Blackstone was a magician. Is it true or false that the character Blackstone in the show was based on a real-life magician named Blackstone? Is that true or false? It's a good question. And then here's a really hard one. Want a really hard one? Uh-uh. Just all pancakes tonight. It's <laughs> all pancakes. This one is really hard. And honest to goodness, if somebody gets it, it's going to be because they were with us during and the interview with Bob Mills, who has written a book, and we're not going to tell you the name of the book until we get finished here. But the question is, which comedian was the first American entertainer to perform in China? I know, I know. That's not your question, Walden. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just going to have to contain yourself. We'll get to your question in a minute. Which comedian was the first American entertainer to perform in China after President Nixon and Chairman Mao Zedong signed a trade agreement in 1974? Who was the first person, American comedian, first entertainer to be over there after the um, the doors opened between the United States and China. And I know you know that answer, don't you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, we've, we've got a whole bunch of good stuff here. Who rode? Which cowboy rode Tony the Wonder Horse? So those are pretty good questions. Is that my question? No, that's not your question. Oh, okay. Silly. Do you want your question? Or you want to you wanna beg for mercy? Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, 714-545-2071. Patricia, open for any trivia question? Anything at all? Anything at all. Yeah. We had a slow day in history today. October the 16th. Yeah. It was a slow day in history. I couldn't find anything particularly interesting except that China detonated um, an atomic bomb. Uh, October 16th, 1793. This is the, I mean, they're really, the pickings were very slender for today. Marie Antoinette was beheaded during the French Revolution yeah, on big. October 16th, 1793. Yeah. That's the best I could do, Walden. But, you know, this week is a pretty big anniversary, October 11th, 1620. 1620. Pretty big in American history. Ponce de Leon? No, bigger than that. Bigger than Ponce de Leon? 1620. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Help me. The Mayflower. The, oh, pff, silly me. Oh, well, then I ought to be sent to my room. Sent <laughs> to my room. And the reason why I know that, I was going to a great show last night. Um, in 1938, they did a, uh, a you know, 
rededication to the Bill of Rights. And Frank Capra directed a Who Who star based upon the Mayflower. And the, the the debate before they got off the ship. It was a terrific play with Orson Welles and not Orson Welles, uh, Lionel Barrymore and Edward G. Robinson and um, just ton who who's of Hollywood and uh, I was very very intrigued with the play. So that's what that's how I found out there was October 11. I listened to old time radio. Old-time radio is very educational. Mm-hmm. New-time radio is because that's what I'm going to talk about right now. What and have you learned from old-time radio? I beg your pardon? What have you learned from old-time radio? Oh, my goodness. I have learned so much about World War II history. It's, it's staggering. And post-war history as well, with, uh, especially with Truman, mm-hmm. the Truman years. Yep. Um, uh, I can't even tell you anything specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got more goodies tonight because we've got a show from 1942 and a show from 1949. Mm-hmm. So I went digging around and I got a couple of little goodies from those times as well. And one, one I, I will ask you because it's a question that relates to one of the shows. It's not your, your trivia question, but it's a question that relates to one of the shows. And I'll bet if there's anybody in my life, you're the person who's going to know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. So I will save that for a couple of minutes. But um, so I can either give you uh, some quotes, a couple of quotes that I pulled out of my quotation files that I that just kind of tickled me for tonight, or I could give you some newspaper headlines that have actually appeared because sometimes the night crew gets a little rambunctious. You know, they try to outdo each other. Uh-huh. So would you like some newspaper headlines? I'll take my trivia question. You'll take your trivia question. Okay, Walden's trivia question. If you haven't noticed, Give people, me a drum if, roll, please. If you haven't noticed, I'm trying to throw Patricia off balance here and there. Get yeah, out. you are. I yeah. have to go down to page two here. <laughs> You're on page two. All right, Walden, are you ready? You bet. J.B. Kendall, the frontier gentleman, had a full name. What was it? What did JB stand for? Beaten Boy, right? Is it Beaten Boy or Decent David, the male initial? Uh, B as in boy. J.B. Kendall. John Blanche Kendall. <laughs> Might try again? <laughs> nope, nope, I don't know it. I've listened to the entire run. Uh-huh. I think I told you last week that I was working my way through looking yeah. for the one show that had the line, he needed somebody to sorrow for him after he was hanged. It was the last show on the list that had it. But when I got closer to the end, The Lost Mine from March 2nd, 1958, and Bill Seiden's Encore from August 24th, 1958. He was asked in both of those shows, what is your name? And he answered, Jeremy Brian Kendall. Wow. Very good. And I never would have known that except I was paying attention as I was, you know, I, I went through them in proper sequence. So his name is Jeremy Brian Kendall. How about that? So what happened to the Frontier Gentleman after the radio date? Did it ever move to a, a novel format? Did the character, did it ever, 
did a character just live and die on radio? As far as I know, he just lived and died on radio. He wow. went back to London. He was on his way back to London uh, in the last show. He was leaving the West, and that was it. I don't. Maybe somebody in our audience knows that there uh, is another home somewhere for the Frontier Gentleman. Boy, I hope so. It was such a quality show. Mm-hmm. Such a quality show. And, Ron, if you're listening in Hawaii, your envelope is here with J.B. Kendall in it. So everybody's envelope from last week is still sitting next to me, but all them, they all have the right CDs in them. <clears throat> so, and now I can put a second one in, in Fred's envelope and send him a CD for $0.17, cents, which is pretty cool. Wow. Okay, Seven, now. 714-545-2071. What do you got, Patricia? We've got so many things. I really, I, I want to tell you about the snowstorms, too. I did pull out some blizzard okay. information. It's kind of neat. Um, How about so your the new thing pa- tonight is, is weather systems. What kind of weather systems do you remember, especially when you were kids? Growing up is fine, too, but especially when you were kids. Snowstorms, um, blizzards, rainstorms, hurricanes, just any kind of a weather system that came through that you really remember. It's one that you will never forget. 714-545-2071. I do want to remind people, next week is the fourth Saturday of the month. Mm -hmm. Is Walden still with me? Yeah, Walden's here. Walden's finding out what's on the show. Uh, Well, the fourth Saturday is the night that you play the Colorado radio show. That's true. So we're going to be starting late. We start at about 12.30 on the fourth Saturday of every month. That's right. And And I'll say that a couple of times tonight because last time we had a couple of people who thought we just abandoned ship and and ran away from home. That's true. And we didn't. We were just late. Now, the 30th, we'll have Sarah call off on the 6th. I'm hoping to get home in time from the Spurvac lights that we'll do a, sh- a show. We might run. We might be a little late if I walk into the door, but I should. I should be on time, Patricia, on on November the sixth. Well, we'll forgive you because it's a very. It's, what, what are you going to do at the Spurvac luncheon? What's going to be coming off at the luncheon? I'm trying to find out. I've been asked to organize the, the ten o'clock to noon, so I got to find out what guests will be available. I'll book. I'll. I will produce the panel parts. But after lunch, Norman Corwin will be there to say hi to people and autograph his book. And they're going to have three shows, My Friend Irma, the starring Janet Waldo. They're going to have Neil Wolf starring Chuck McCann. And then they will have The Lost Letters of Robert E. Lee starring Janet Waldo. Again, as the three main recreations. That Saturday afternoon, November the 6th. So it should get done by 4:30, and so I assume the time I leave the premises, I should be I should be home in time to uh, to be with you. Are That's there cool. any tickets available for people who want to attend? Yep, tickets tickets are available. Um, you can order lunch. You have to if you're going to order lunch, put it in by October the 25th. Now this is in Los LA. Angeles. L A. Yeah, it's the Beverly Garland Hotel. Okay. And next weekend, uh, it's Defense of Old Time Radio Convention in New Jersey, and we'll be broadcasting Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So if you go to FOTR.net, you will see the panels. We broadcast the panels there. So those will be during the day. So those will not affect the live show that Patricia and I do Friday and Saturday night. So there. So there. So there. 
was going to be neat at the luncheon. I had such a good time the one time I was able to uh, to be there. I know. It was a great time. But only problem was there were so many people having a good time. You couldn't have a good time with so many people. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were all talking with each other. Yeah. And it was next to impossible to talk with people on the other side of the table. You really had to get up and circulate in order to be able to talk with um, with other people. Well, My gosh, was it fun. We sure just had a smaller table, the table of 12, a table of 8. I think it would be easier. Yeah. How could you know? How would we know? Yeah. My goodness, that, that's the kind of trial and error thing. Um, you, you don't always expect people to have such a wonderful time and have so much fun that the energy just keeps building and building and building. It was like a beehive. You know, somebody somebody showed up at the beehive and it was buzz, buzz, buzz. And when when you kind of jar it a little bit, it gets buzz, buzz, and it just kept buzzing louder and louder. It was just a great time. What did you thought about the recreation? On that particular day, we had problems with the sound system, uh-huh. uh, but the actor covered for it. What was your impression of seeing the performance on stage? That was the first time I had ever seen it, and it was, um, I, I, was I was about to say, it, it almost matched what I would have expected on an actual radio stage when, for example, a Fibber McGee and Molly cast would come together at the microphone and do a performance for a show. It was and it wasn't, but what was particularly fun for me was that they did cover instantly for some of the blips that happened along the way. The sound effects had a hard time keeping up, and some of them were missing, and um, Chuck McCann jumped in, and uh, was he the one who was the Maxwell, Jack Benny's Maxwell? That was Chuck. That was Chuck. (laughs) He became the Maxwell. (laughs) Instead of waiting for the sound effect Mm -hmm. to find itself Mm -hmm. and come up, Chuck just jumped right in, and he pretended he was, and he sounded just like the real sound mm-hmm. effect. And when there was um, there was a break somewhere, Eddie Carroll was playing Jack Benny, and he just did one of his typical Jack Benny comments mm-hmm. that you would have heard at the microphone had it happened in the actual setting. So it it was it was what I would have expected from a radio show, only better. I was not disappointed. It was it was a good recreation. It was a Jack Benny show, obviously. Yeah. And you got, and, and you, got, uh, and you had quite a lineup. And you got to see the pros. You got to see uh, Shirley Mitchell and Shirley Gail, Mitchell and, and Waldo and, and uh, Eddie Carroll, whom we are missing a whole lot because right. we lost Eddie earlier this year. Um, but yeah, you had maybe ten people up on stage. Uh huh. At least ten. At least ten. And nobody was crashing into each other. Nope. They were just back and forth, mm-hmm. and they all had parts, mm-hmm. and it was a lot busier than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. You know, when you listen with your ears, you only hear two or three people at a time. Mm-hmm. So you lose sight of the fact that there are so many others who come in and out at different parts of a show. And that's what I was watching. I was not only hearing it happen, but I was watching it happen. And it was the first time I became aware of actually how many people wound up on a radio set and a stage in order to put together a show. I just I, I just had no mental concept that there were that many people involved in a single show. Well, I'm glad you came. I'm so glad I came, aren't I? <laughs> Are you unglad you asked me the question? Because <laughs> I didn't stop talking. Mm. 
All okay, right. you can say, I promise I'll never ask you a question again. No. Be what, quiet. No, what's in your new paper files? What's in my new paper? Oh, in my newspaper files. Yeah, okay, my newspaper headlines. Yeah. Please, I have a list of actual headlines that have appeared in newspapers at different times. And some of these are old, but they're still goodies. Um, and I, a lot of this comes from old-time newspaper editors who used to take articles, and they, they may still do it now. I don't, I'm not familiar with what happens in newspapers, especially now that we have electronic delivery in the, in the mornings. But the headline, they had, they had entire groups of headline writers. That's all these people did was write headlines so that it matched the the theme and the style, not the theme, the style of a newspaper. But once in a while, they'd get a little silly, and they'd try to outdo each other. And what went through, If you, some of them you had to read twice, but for example, this, this was a real headline, police station toilet stolen, cops have nothing to go in. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's that's a headline. Now that was good, Walden. You could laugh at that. I agree. I agree. Okay. I agree. Include, include your children when baking cookies. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty good. That's good. <laughs> New study of obesity looks for larger test group. Hey. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. And this one is a honey. Something went wrong in jet crash. Experts say. Oh. That's pretty good. good. Now, this one was probably an accident. Nobody did this one on purpose. Two Soviet ships collide, one dies. Ooh. Ooh. Yep, I agree. It was an accident. Yep. That was an accident. Mm -hmm. Okay, want some Will Rogers wisdom? I sure do. Never kick a cow chip on a hot day. Ah, very good. Oh, Walden, that one's supposed to Very give you a good. belly laugh. I, well, I, 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 I got a sneak. I, I'm sneaking for a, a, a little surprise for Patricia. Uh-oh. Okay, well, I will just make you laugh while you're sneaking around for a surprise. All right, this is still a Will Rogers. If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering somebody else's dog around. <laughs> I like that That's one. That's a good one. That, one. that one's pretty good. And my favorite, Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of Great Britain. Being powerful is being is like being a lady. Being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. That one's a good one. I like that one. That's awesome. I like that one, too. Yeah, and I have two more. Can I do two more? You bet. Okay, I have one from Kimberly Broyles, but I don't know who Kimberly Broyles is. She may be a comedian. Maybe somebody can help me um, if you know who Kimberly Broyles is. But her contribution, Adam and Eve had an ideal marriage. He didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married, and she didn't have to hear about the way his mother cooked. I like that one. That's a good one. That's that is a good. good. One. That's, That's good. a good one. I want to hear you give a belly laugh. I'm trying to keep my secret away from Patricia's ears. <laughs> okay, I'll give you my, my last one. And this one is probably important to me and not very many other people. It's a Mark Twain. And it is Mark Twain wisdom. The difference between the right word and an almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. 
That's good. Okay. That's very good. You, you can do whatever you want to do now. Oh no no! It, it, I I'm trying to I'm trying I'm looking for a little sound effect goodie for Patricia. Oh okay. Well, you can keep looking then, right? Uh -huh. I'll just keep talking. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. From the distance over there, we're never really quite sure where. That's right. Is That's we're right. looking for phone calls. What weather patterns? What weather catastrophes do you remember from when you were a kid? Did you go sleigh riding? Did you have blizzards? Did you have rainstorms and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes? Just any kind of a really big weather event. Give us a call at 714-545-2071. And when you call, we'll give you some old-time radio trivia. I got some great questions tonight. Your turn. Right, seven one four five four five two zero seven one is our number. Give us a call, and I guess I'm gonna have to put my stuff down because I've been trying to surprise. Um, if you haven't noticed, I'm trying to. It's, if Patricia says something and I look for something quickly to play on the air, it's just too <laughs> surprised. So. Every once in a while, I think I'm here talking to myself, you know, because occasionally the phone fails. Once in a while, my my uh, phone system will just say you've been on long enough and disconnect me and I don't know it because I don't hear a click. The person on the other end just disappears and sometimes when I'm talking and I don't get any kind of a response from Walden, I think ooh, I'm here all by myself <laughs> and nobody can hear me. Poor Walden is oh, over there. So, October 30th, we're going to be talking with Sarah Karloff. That's two weeks from tonight. Sarah is Boris Karloff's daughter. And she is an absolutely delightful person. She's got some wonderful stories about her dad. Um, so save up your stories. She's going to give it a whirl for us on October 30th. It's pretty close to Halloween, and it's the anniversary of the War of the Worlds. She is obviously a very popular person at this time of the year, and she's going to be at a dinner in New Jersey. So she's going to be talking with us on her cell phone, and she said, let's give it a try, and if it doesn't work, or there's too much noise in the background, and um, it's, it's just not broadcasting well, she said she would reschedule with us, but no reason in the world, she said, why we can't try it, and we'll just do it. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. What have you got cooking over there, Walden? I was looking for Will Rogers Jr.'s talking about his dad. Oh. That's what I was going to be my little surprise for you. Oh. Oh, we could do that. Okay. Well, you you you've been for a minute now, for, and I'm looking for the I'm looking for that CD. So okay, I'm going to do Blizzard information, and we also have some box office information. Last week, we talked about box office numbers in relation to bank night when people would go to the movies, they would sign up at the door, and at the end of the show, or perhaps during intermission, somebody from the theater would call out a number. The person who had the number would win money, and they called it Bank Night. Bank Night was a copyrighted program, I guess is the best that, um, that I can do. Person, actually, his name was Jaeger, actually copyrighted Bank Night, and he got 5 to $50 every single week from every single theater that used Bank Night or anything like Bank Night, the amount depended on the size of the theater. And what came out of the articles that I dug up about Bank Night was that 81 million tickets a week were sold to theaters. Now, 
even giving that some people went to the movies more than once a week, 81 million tickets is an awful lot of traffic in movie houses. So underscore Bill from the chat room, our our super-duper website creator-type person who's helping straighten out all of the information at the website found some box office information for today. Uh, and it goes back to 1980. So I did some comparison numbers from box office numbers from 1936 to 2010, and the numbers will just blow you away. So are you still there, Walden? Walden? I I am. I am here. You go right ahead. Walden disappeared. Oh, I'll pretend that you're still there, okay? Um, you better. You better. <laughs> okay. Well, here are the numbers. Box office numbers. Last week, we found out that in 1936, this was during the Depression, and this was one of, if not the only, entertainment medium where people could go out and have fun and do it inexpensively. I guess there were dance halls as well. But 81 million tickets per week, and there were 15,000 theaters in America. 81 million in 15,000 theaters. In 2010, there were only 20 million tickets in 4,000 theaters. Now, that is staggering. We are selling about one quarter the number of tickets, movie tickets per week, one quarter of what it was in 1936 when the population, Walden has population numbers in his head. We're at about 300 million people right now. How many were around in 1936, well, Walden? I think, I think in 1941 we were about 130, 130 million, so we're probably in high 120s. Okay, so less than, less than half... Less than, less than a third, probably less than a third. Less than a third. So let's, well, say 100 and, 120 million, 130 uh -huh. million, and uh -huh. we're talking 300 million. So it's almost half. Almost it's, half. It's, it's pretty close to half. Let's say yeah. um, 40 percent, 45 percent. So we had 45 percent of the population buying four times the number of tickets that are being sold today. Mm -hmm. That's staggering. It's amazing. It gets amazing. Well, it tells you how inexpensive the movies were. In other words, I mean, economic times are so tough. And people, no competition. Yeah. It, it really had no competition. People willing to spend it, spend the money to see something. Um, I did not find, I tried to find how much a movie ticket cost on average in 1936, and I couldn't find that. So if somebody out there has that information for us, I would love to have it. Absolutely. Here's a little bit of Will Rogers. Oh, Junior. yay, you found it. Yeah, okay. I found it. Here we go. To my sister Mary and my brother Jimmy and me, Will Rogers was just like any other father in a normal American family. We saw him come and go a thousand times. We had dinner like everyone else. Dad read his paper and talked about what was going on in the world. He was always meeting the great and participating in great events, yet often the first we ever heard of it was when we would read about it in the newspaper. He always thought his career wouldn't last. When my father and mother were married, he always intended to give up the theater after just one more season. 
and go back to Oklahoma to live. He said he never had to invent jokes. All he had to do was watch the government and report the facts. The big yell comes nowadays from the taxpayers. I bet you when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock and they had the whole of the American continent, you know, to themselves, you know, just them and them pilgrims there, and landed up there, and all they had to do was uh, to get an extra 160 acres was shoot another Indian, you know? <laughs> Well, I bet you anything, they kicked on the price of ammunition, you know. <laughs> I, I bet they said, what's this country coming to? That we have to spend a nickel for powder. Of course, they got the lead back after they dissected the Indian. But uh, uh, no matter what we pay, I don't care whether we pay high taxes, low taxes, medium taxes, or no tax, anything, uh, the yell is always the same. Of course, we know our government is costing us more than it's worth, but do you know of any other cheaper governments that's running around now? I mean, do you? If I mean, if you do, I mean, they'll sell you a ticket there anytime. <laughs> now, you can try Russia. I was over there. Yeah, you can try Russia. There's no income tax in Russia, but there's no income. <laughs> <laughs> He liked to kid about things. It was his way of getting across his point. And he recommended it to Franklin Roosevelt right after his election in 1932. As president, he said, don't scold the Congress and the Senate, kid them. And that's what dad himself did. Sure, there you go, Patricia. He actually sounds a little bit like his dad did. Uh-huh, yep. He picked up a little bit of the flavor. That was great. That was great. How long is that... One hour. Air show. It's, yeah. a, it's an hour it's show? An hour, it's an hour program. Are you going to play that for us one night? Uh-huh. I'm, I've been collecting a lot of goodies here lately. You have another collection coming, too. Poor <laughs> <laughs> oh, Walden. Um, you're, you're going to need a couple of terabytes of space. A couple? A couple? A couple of terabytes. I think it's probably going to be millions of terabytes, I'm afraid, you know. Oh, I don't think so. Well, no, a terabyte is pretty lot of space. Yeah. Well, but, 1,004. But when you got over 10,000 cassette tape that got to be transferred? Yeah, that, that'll be cool. Yeah, that, that, that got to take up a little space, I would hope. Got, it, it's more than 1,000 gigabytes in a terabyte. Hmm. I wonder how many hours I can get on a terabyte. Well, it depends on how big the files are. If they're white files. Well, it, it depends on how many minute, uh, megabytes it takes. Because I've got, I've got some half-hour shows that only take three megabytes, oh. and I've got others that take 21. Yeah. depends on the quality of the sound. Yeah, probably mine will be about 21. Oh, you're, you're going to have some... Um, Maybe a million terabytes, after all. <laughs> I pulled out some fun advertising from 1942. 1942 is when one of our shows for tonight is. It's actually the Sugar Substitute show, um, which will be our second show. But I found a couple of really fun things. There was one that advertises bus seats, the American Seating Company, built seats for buses, and they were upholstered with, you know, armrests, and they were really nice, but the title of this, One Dime 
that buys a lot of comfort, which says to me that a bus ride was 10 cents. That's pretty nice. I think that's neat. It doesn't say how far you could go on 10 cents, but I guess if you got on the bus, you could just stay there. Mm-hmm. How far could you go on a dime? I bet you could go farther back then than you can today. <laughs> I, I bet they'd laugh at you if you tried to get on with a dime today. But that, that was pretty neat. So we've, we've got a 10 cent dilly there. Are you sure you want to close this window? Of course I do. I don't know. Yeah, you do. There it is. And then I found the, um, this is still 1942 because we're, we're going to be, if we get to the second show, Fibber puts together a sugar substitute or he tries to invent a sugar substitute. Mm-hmm. Sugar rationing went into effect the week that this show was done. So I don't know if Don Quinn pulled a bunny out of a hat and just put this show together instantly in response to the sugar rationing or if he knew it was coming. But in Jan, now that was in May, the May 4th, I believe, May 4th was the, um, the day so. that the ration stamps were issued for okay. sugar. But in January, so this is four months earlier, in January, four and a half months earlier, there was a big ad for Whitman samplers, the big chocolate boxes, and there was no mention at all about sugar in there. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know? You can say it's interesting if you like. I wonder, wonder though, what did people like in baking, what did they do as substitute during the war? Well, they, they actually didn't substitute. There aren't any things uh, or many things that you can substitute in baking for sugar. Sugar doesn't have a whole lot of substitutes. They just used less. And actually, it was a lot of sugar that people could buy, maybe because I'm kind of sensitive about, you know, buying sugar. I, I bought a pound of sugar about two I don't know, but I don't think a lot. Just because we are, you know, we have diabetes in my family. Yeah. You know, so my mom. People today are a lot more conscious of sugar intake and and sweets and stuff. Number seven was uh, two pounds of sugar also, but it had to last for six weeks. But I think, though, Patricia, I think things are more sweeter today than they were. 60 years ago. We, I, oh, we have so many products. That they, they begin with sugar. The recipe begins with sugar. Yeah. You, know, you and, take seven cups of calories and two cups of sugar, and then you put the rest of the ingredients in there. So I think those of us who who trying to be careful what we put, the, the extra sugar we put on stuff, probably are not really exposed to how much is already in our processed food to mm-hmm. begin with, you know. Yeah, and especially things like cereals. Mm-hmm. Really, quite remarkable. Well, that got me about cereal. I didn't know until I read it that so much salt is in cereal. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we keep the salt people in business. Mm-hmm. But that's what we are accustomed to. Yeah. That's true. Somebody's got a storm story for us. Or they just want to say hi. <laughs> Hello. there. Hi. You're back. Hello. Back. Hi, friend. Now, I know you don't have the coffee on. 
No, but I, I got a kind of an answer to your question. What was the question? About price of movie tickets. Oh, good. Okay, what you got? Well, it's really interesting. According to this, like, I've got a, uh, well, according to this a little blurb here, it says in 1922 or 24, the average price was $0.25. Cents. And by 1929, it had risen to $0.35. But during the Great Depression, ticket prices came back down. And by 1935, not 1936, but 35, they dropped to an average of $0.24. Cents. It didn't rise. The average price didn't rise above a dollar until 1965. Nineteen
anything old-time radio-related, any kind of a blizzard or a storm that you were in or you remember, um, lots of good stuff. 714-545-2071. We have some questions out there. Which comedian was the first American entertainer to perform in China after President Nixon and Chairman, Chairman Mao Zedong signed a trade agreement in 1974? Hello, they call you on Patricia. Hello, Walden. Ray here. Hello, Ray. Ray. Hello, Patricia. How are you, sir? It's good to hear from you. Very good. Thank you so much. I've been enjoying the program. You're with us. This is so great. Are you in Chicago or are you? Oh, no, I'm spending the weekend in Wisconsin. You're in Wisconsin. Okay. So I just played a little golf today. It was absolutely delightful. I'd say it was in the high 60s today. That sounds like perfect golfing weather. Ooh, it was it was delightful. Who won the football game, Ray? Uh, you know, I'm not a real big football fan. Oh, okay. I thought because Wisconsin was playing tonight, and I thought you would know. Uh, I, uh, I really, I, I'm kind of turned off to okay. most sports except golf. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh. But when I like something, I go all the way. There you go. I think we knew that. I mean, I think we knew you liked golf. I wasn't sure about anything else. I didn't realize that you were not a football person. No, you know, I'm a fair weather fan. If the Chicago Bears, uh, you know, are in the playoff or something, I'll probably watch them. Or Green Bay. I'm a fan of both of them. Uh -huh. But when they play together, then I have to go for the Bears. And that, by the way, in this part of the country, you don't say that. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember, but you just did. <laughs> you said it out loud, too. Oops. <laughs> well, I think I, uh, I might have a couple of the questions. Oh, cool. Which one would you like? Uh... Well, I kind of forgot them again. Well, how about I go through them because whichever ones you don't pick, somebody else is going to pick. All right, let's see here. Um, those are from last week. Well, let me ask this one, too, and this wasn't at the beginning. Which show offered an Ovaltine shake-up mug as a premium? Which cowboy, this is probably the one that, that tickled you, which cowboy rode Tony the Wonder Horse? I think I have that one with uh, Mix. Tom Mix, yes. Very good. Okay. I, I depended on you for that one, Ray. <laughs> I depended on you. <laughs> and you didn't fail me. You're a yeah, I, I like the uh, cowboys and their horses, too. I, you know, I figured that out. I did figure that out. Do I have an envelope here? I promised you hop along, Cassidy, and I think I still have your envelope here. So that means I can put... Other, let me see, yep, there you are. Hop along, Cassidy is in an envelope, but I can put another one in the same envelope. Okay. In the cowboy mode? <clears throat> you know what, I, um, I really like Sherlock Holmes, too. Are you serious? Um, Very uh, cool. I've got loads too, of Sherlock too Holmes. It's too bad she doesn't have any handy. It's just too bad. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been listening. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes is one of my all-time favorites. I, I tend to run in streaks. You know, like, I'll eat the same thing for dinner for two weeks in a row. 
and I'll listen to the same show for two weeks in a row. And I go on a Sherlock Holmes tear every once in a while, and I do nothing but Sherlock Holmes, and I just love those shows. So Sherlock Holmes it is. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a partial answer to one of your questions. I just thought about it. Okay. And I can't give you the full answer because I, I just can't remember the guy's name. Okay. But it was that detective who never uh, leaves the office or uh-huh. I don't remember his name, but he had a sidekick named Archie. With that is exactly right. What was Archie's last name? Archie, well, <laughs> let's see, I got half of that question. <laughs> you, got, you got half of the unanswered. Can I help out? Can I give him, sure. a, can I give him a clue? Oh, give me a clue. I'll give you a clue. Let's see here. Well, I'm going to do a secret clue here. Okay. Let's see here. See, see this might help away. All right, let's, let's, here's, here's a secret clue, Jeff Foray. <laughs> here we go. Make sure nobody else is listening. They better not. <laughs> Stay tuned for Nero Wolf. This Sunday marks the premiere of The Big Show on NBC. Not just any big show, it's The Big Show. NBC's hour and a half of comedy, music, and drama. The best of each. The Big Show will be heard every Sunday afternoon over most of these stations with Tallulah Bankhead as Mistress of Ceremonies. Your stars for this Sunday's broadcast include Jimmy Durante, Fred Allen, Ethel Merman, Frankie Lane, Mindy Carson, Meredith Wilson, Danny Thomas, and hosts of others. All this and Tallulah too. No wonder it's The Big Show. My boss is the smartest and the stubbornest, the fattest and the laziest, the cleverest and the craziest, the most extravagant detective in the world, Nero Wolf. There you go. Now that should help you out, Ray. <laughs> That's not exactly... Uh, I, I know who Nero Wolf is now. <laughs> <laughs> but what... I, I still don't know what Archie's last name is. Walton drops hints with a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Nero Wolf, though, yeah. Yeah, well, Archie... No, I couldn't... I, I just... I. I know the character, and that's a good program. And uh, and Archie came to mind, and I could, I'm darned if I remember his last name. <laughs> did they say their last name? Uh-huh. They, uh-huh. They did. <clears throat> sure did. No, I'm going to... When, when you hear it, you're going to do the V8 commercial on the side, of, you know, you slap the okay. side of your head. Okay, uh, here's a quote. Good old Walden. Here's the, here he is with his baseball bat again, folks. Hey, I'm ready. All right, you, you know who oh. you know the um, George Burns and Gracie Allen show, right? Yes. Who was their announcer during the uh, Bachelor Hall coffee period? Uh, gee, I could see this one guy with my mind's eye. Yeah, yeah. Him and Don Wilson were friends. Yeah. Is that the one? That's the one. Anyway, his last name is the same last name of Archie. Uh, yeah, but I can't think of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two people with the name. <laughs> See if you can come up with a third one, Walton. Walton has a third one there. Okay, you want to just let it hang, or do you want me to tell you? Yeah, let it hang out there. Let, you know, it'll give me a reason to listen some more, just to see how <laughs> someone could come up. Now, now I, I'm... Gosh, I would hope that you would have a 
better reason for listening than because I'm going to give the last name of a character. Okay, I have one. Uh, I have one uh, uh, story. Okay. Weather. Oh, good. I, I knew I could depend on you up in the Chicago area. It must be a beauty. Okay. Here's a weather story. I was traveling in uh, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and I was uh, I was about to get on the plane. The weather was absolutely delightful. Everything looked good, and uh, I just noticed off in the distance some dark clouds, but I didn't think anything of them because the whole sky was as blue as blue can be. There was that one dark cloud, but it was far away. And there's no way any uh, airline person could fly into a bunch of dark uh, clouds. So um, we get in the plane, we go up. <clears throat> I'm sitting in my usual spot, which is on the aisle. I have uh, headphones on listening uh, to tapes and I'm reading a book. And it's one of those wide-body planes with an uh, an aisle on there, on you know two aisles going down the middle. Uh-huh. And um, we're up in the air, and all of a sudden everything turned dark. And um, I looked out the window, and it's pitch black. Wow! And I said, "What in the world? Are these guys flying in that one little bitty cloud?" That little tiny cloud, but some for some reason it mushroomed into a giant cloud when I looked out the window. Wow! And a few seconds later, it felt like, and thank goodness this was uh, 20 years ago, um, because I never the, the idea of uh, somebody planting a bomb in the plane did never entered my mind. But I tell you what did happen: I heard a loud boom. I mean, it was with the winch, the the wings were shaking. Guess what it was? Uh, Guess it? I, 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 I got hit by lightning. My guess, maybe it, birds birds hit the plane. No, I got we got hit by lightning. Wow. I mean, and wow. twice, twice. Twice, wow. Well, you know, planes apparently, from what I have read, planes get hit by lightning often, but it's it's deflected. You know, the, because of the, the skin on the plane, the, the lightning is deflected, but once in a while, it'll just give a wham, and you got two of them. Yeah, and, you know, I didn't know what you just said. <laughs> Nobody ever told me about lightning, and I've been traveling at that point for years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, 30 trips a year, and uh, that was the first time. That was a beaut, you know, so that's... Uh, that's my story about that, and it's a, it's by way of encouragement. So if anybody's flying and all that, <laughs> uh, don't worry. Fiber. <laughs> it's okay to fly into all of this stuff. Yeah, he is here to tell you it's it's he survived it. I flew in, uh, I think, uh, from Atlanta down to Alabama in a thunderstorm and, and a little puddle jumper. So I know what the feeling's like. It, Ooh, scary puddle. Uh huh. Now, the only the only time I, I ever got uncomfortable in a plane was coming into JFK, and there were storms in the area. They had backed up planes. They, they weren't allowing them to land, and when they finally started allowing planes to come in, I was number 33 
we, we were stacked one on top of another. Oh. I have no idea how many were on top of me. I have, I know the 32 were underneath me. But when you looked out the windows, there were planes flying in circles all over the place. It was just so scary to know that there were that many planes out there waiting to do the same thing. 32? Wow. I was flying one one time to Denver, and because the water was too cold to land, we had to circle for an over an hour just around the Denver airport uh-uh. before the land. I, You know, I kind of went through some of those things. Mm-hmm. I went to the plane dropping. Yeah. Uh, it felt like it fell out of the sky, and I was raised. I, I didn't have my seatbelt on. <laughs> uh, I'm going up to the roof, you know. Uh-huh. Nope, I am Charlie Chicken. If, I am, if I'm sitting in a seat, I've got my seatbelt on. Yeah, well, you know from that time on I left my on. <laughs> you do now. You do now. How about lake snowstorms? Do you get lake snowstorms where you live in, in the uh, Chicago area? We, we get a ton of those. I, so I'll tell you a, 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 another quick one. You just tickled my memory. In 1967, I believe it was, we had a snowstorm that... For the first time in my life, I ever heard that the uh, the city of Chicago actually shut down. No planes in or out. Uh, no transportation of any kind. The buses and cars, everything stopped right where they were in the middle of the street, and nothing moved for three days. Uh, and after three days, it it, it you know it uh, it wasn't safe. Not well. You still couldn't really drive anywhere because there was no place to park if you got there. And you might get stuck with no place to park or turn around or do much of anything. So we were really snowed in for a good week plus. You know, I remember taking that whole week off work. Now, I was at work at the time. Now, this goes, like I say, in 67, I was a coffee salesman selling coffee to restaurants. And by the time I got back to the office, uh, there was just no way I was going to get my car out of the snow, and I started walking home. Now, normally I could drive to the office in, say, 20 minutes. and um, But, it was, you know, it was a good three, four miles. Well, that little trek took me three hours to get home. Wow. You know, I mean, it was, the, the snow was up to your waist. It was incredible. You are so fortunate you got home. Oh. If you had, if you had, wimp, I, I don't want to say wimped out, but I mean, if you had pooped out before you got close enough to home to be able to scream help, were there places along the way where you could have just knocked on a door and, and said, I need to stay here for a little bit? You kidding? I could have jumped in anybody's car. <laughs> I could have jumped on a bus. Because they were all stalled in the middle of the street. You know, there were just people just, <laughs> and they stayed in their cars, you know, before. Yeah. Some just sat there for an hour or two thinking, you know, they were going to be able to move in a while, in a bit. So you had you had refuges along the way if you needed them. Oh, uh, yeah, geez. Wow-wee. And, That's scary. Now, for a week, you were, for all intents and purposes, locked in for a week. You know, we actually uh, <clears throat> uh, went to... Uh, a supermarket on the main street, maybe three or four blocks from our house. Uh-huh. And, and we had to walk there and then drag a box home with uh, whatever the food stuff.
things on the shelf? People hadn't cleaned them off? Oh, I'm telling you, there wasn't much. Uh, because whenever something like that hits, everybody goes in and bites. Um, now, in, in Florida and in other storm-prone areas, people will frequently, not enough, but people will frequently lay in stores enough for three or four days in case a storm comes through and the power goes down and you can't get out, when the power goes down, the traffic lights are down, they have curfews. And, um, so a lot of people are prepared for storms. They've got canned goods and bottled water. Do the people in the lake areas where these horrific snowstorms come, do they lay in stores like that? Well, not really because, uh, like the city of Chicago, I'm here my whole life. Um, you know, when it snows, uh, in the main, people know how to drive, uh, the transportation people clean the streets, you know, everything. But every now and again, when you get one of these monsters, like there was another one, I think, in 87, and nothing that bad. Uh, well, the 87 one wasn't as bad as 67, or 88, something like that. You ought to look it up on the Internet. It was a fascinating time. Uh, and I think the 87 storm, uh, we uh, lost, or the mayor lost his uh, job because he said, uh, you know, the streets are fine, everything's good. And in reality, that wasn't the case, you know. He wow. Was, yeah, he was misinformed by his people, and then we had an election shortly thereafter, and he lost. <laughs> you can lose on a snowstorm, boy. Oh, yeah, in Chicago you can. But oh, my gosh. Like I say, in the main, you know, um, it, it's it's something that you, you know, nobody really prepares for here because they do such a good job normally with the snow, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's the power outages that seem to cause the most problems. I mean, if the power goes out, so do the freezers and the supermarkets, and all of the refrigerated foods have to be thrown away. They're by law; they have to throw them away. So that's a self-limiting thing. Um, you can get around, but if the power is out, you're you're missing an awful lot of things from your table. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's happened to us a half a dozen times over the last. Are you there? <laughs> was that uh, the guy with the uh, cigarette? What's his name? Yep, that was Edward Armour. Yep. Edward Armour. Edward Armour. Fantastic. I used to enjoy his interviews with, uh, I remember his interview with uh, JFK and uh, and Jack Jackie when he, um, when, you know, they uh, went through the White House. That was really something. Yeah. That was the first president I ever voted for. Person to person. Yeah. Person to person, yeah. yeah, that was great. I'll tell you one other real quick story if you have time. Mm -hmm. uh, this was uh, an old story I've uh, heard uh, about a friend of the family or uh, distant relatives or something. They lived uh, in a farming community many years ago, and they had a one, uh, you know, a little small um, school. And everybody went, you know, it was just one room. And they had uh, a teacher who was relatively new, and all those kids came. And uh, the snowstorm came up, um, and it was really, really bad. So, but she didn't allow the kids to go home. She didn't really, really 
understand what was going on, I don't think. And the way the story goes, apparently uh, it got so bad she figured, well, I'd better let the kids go home. Well, as it turned out, um, this, I think it, it was a, a boy and two girls. Um, and they got lost in the snow. You know, it, it, uh, the, That's not good. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, frostbite the whole thing, everything, everything, huh? everything. And when they couldn't go any further, they heard in the distance their father was coming in a horse and wagon and shouting out their names. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he found them, and uh, needless to say, they uh, fired the teacher. And uh, But I, I don't know if that's a story I heard through the family about distant uh, relatives of ours or what. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't okay. it wouldn't surprise me that it, it if if somebody came up and said it was true when I was digging up information about blizzards because Walden and I were talking about it earlier this week, I found information that I, I just I just couldn't copy. There was one catastrophic storm that arrived. It was a mild day. All of the kids were in school. This snowstorm started boiling up suddenly. The teacher said this is it, it's going to be a bad one, sent the kids home, and before the kids got home, it had plunged to 37 below zero, and some of the kids oh died on the way home. So, I mean, these... these what happened? I mean, the kids died on the way home? Yes, because the, the temperature, I mean, they started out with a mild day, like in the oh, 50s, wow. 60s, oh, wow. and during the trip home, it, it, the temperature plunged so quickly that they got let out of school, they were told to go home, and and before the kids could get home, the temperature had dropped to 37 below zero, which is extraordinary. I mean, I, I just, I just, you know, I can understand why why it made the lists of one of the top ten worst storms in in American history. My mom, recall, my mom recalls in the 40s, uh, she lived close enough to have lunch at home. She, you know, on a beautiful day, came home, and her mom refused to send her back to school that afternoon. Because there was going to be a tornado hit the area, and, you know, the water did change. Wow. So I guess it does happen. It does happen. Just well, you know, you know what I think of from time to time as I'm driving up to Wisconsin? It's about a two-hour trip for me. And you pass these, it's, well, it's getting to a point, uh, it's almost all city all the way through. But, you know, I do pass through a lot of farming area, and there's some woods here and there. And, uh, you know, I often think about what it was like during the, um, you know, the very early times and these, uh, uh, these people who lived, uh, built log cabins and lived in the wilderness and, you know, surviving in that, uh, like you said, uh, yeah. 37 degrees below zero, you know. I mean, it, it really must have been something for them. Dirtier stock than I. And this is the truth. I've wouldn't be able to do it. I would wimp out at 40. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just not built for that kind of stuff. I don't know how they did it. Yeah, just fascinating. I I read a lot about um, about Kit Carson. Uh-huh. And he was a guide for John Fremont, and Fremont is notable in history because he was the first uh, person to run as a Republican. See, you heard me. I asked that uh, Patrick to... 
drove you across New Patricia two weeks ago. Ah. So, you see, you knew. You knew. You knew that. Well, yeah, because I, I, I'm kind of an early American history uh-huh. fan, too. And um, he, um, he made several uh, uh, trips or discovery uh, passing through... Um, um, you know, the uh, Continental Divide, and it was Kit Carson who guided him, you know, um, and they went through some horrendous uh, times. Uh, just reading about that, just overwhelming. You know, they in, in fact, on his last journey, I think he did five altogether. Uh, several people died along the way. Wow. Had to be something. Scary stuff. I, I really don't know how people survived long enough to make it to California when the pioneers were crossing the country. How they got to California, I will never know. I wonder how long those no. trips. I wonder how long those trips really did take by cover wagon. They had to be for months. Months. It was months. You know, they they say on the Oregon the old Oregon Trail, you could still see the ruts. The the wagon train ruts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And. Think, think also about uh, uh, Lewis and Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their, their trip was absolutely uh, just uh, overwhelming. They actually made it from St. Louis all the way to the coast. That, you know, I mean, yeah. if, uh, the winter came, they, they built cabins and hung out for until uh, it uh, just amazing. And they all made it. Every one, every last man survived. And I, I don't, and they, then they think they lost touch with the uh, White House, lost touch with them. They didn't know they were alive or not, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They were there all alone. Mm-hmm. There, were, there was no way of contacting after yeah. they reached a certain point. You know, they were truly in the wilderness. They actually thought they were going to follow this river all the way to the coast. Well, of course, it ended someplace. And they just kept going and going and going. The Indians helped them a lot back then, you know, and they had a, they had a, uh, an Indian guide, a, a young 18, 19-year-old girl called... Uh, Sakawajia. Sakawajia, yeah. Right. On the yeah. dollar, the, the gold dollar now. So that, that, that's a fascinating trip. If you ever have a chance to read that, you've got to read that. It's just absolutely been, uh, fantastic. Well, listen, uh, I heard a lot of good stuff, but Patricia, if... Uh, if you think my half answer was sufficient. Oh, no, I got Tony. Sure you did. You got Yeah, I got Tony. You got Tony the Wonder Horse. Yeah, and I got Archie. <laughs> and and the, the other half of Archie, because I knocked that question off the list for now, the other half of Archie is Goodwin. Oh, boy. Yeah, I knew it was going to be a V8 commercial on the side of the head. I could have gotten that one. It's Archie Goodwin, and I think that half earned you some Nero Wolf shows, too. Yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. I like him. I like that show. You got Sherlock Holmes and Nero Wolf. This is pretty cool. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll hang on as long as I can. Okay. It's always fun when you call in, Ray. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good night, you guys. Good night, Bye. Ray. And there we go. 714-545-2071. Sorry, I, my... Sometimes my board bleeds a little bit, so I was trying to cue something up that I thought Patricia would get a kick out of. 
So, you ready, Patricia? I am ready. Here's here's a little bit. Well, I won't say that. Good. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Yeah. Hi, Walden. It's Ralph. Hey, Ralph. Hi, Ralph. Hi, folks. How you doing? I am fine. You got your computer turned up. Oh, it's my radio. Yeah, let, let me just... I'm sorry about that. No. Okay. I th- I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we sound good on the radio. <laughs> oh, did you hear yourself? Yeah. Well, I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is your theme tonight? Weather. theme is weather. I want to know about storms and hurricanes and lightning and thunder and just anything that you remember from when you were a kid that was just a really big weather system. Oh, well, uh... The day after Christmas, in 1947, in New York City, they had a knockout snowstorm. I mean, cars were actually, you know, the plows came through when they could, and cars were actually covered, completely covered. And people that were looking for their cars had to kind of dig their way into this mound of snow to find their cars. And it, it, the, the thing in front of my house where I lived in New York, there was about a 12-foot-high pile of snow. Uh, the sidewalks and the roads were, were getting cleared, but they, it all got pushed off to the side. And it was just, you know, I've never experienced a white Christmas. <laughs> Boy, you got one that year, didn't you? I had one the day after Christmas. <laughs> oh. That was one, one horrific storm. I have some information. You may have heard me earlier when I told Walden I had pulled together some information about storms, uh, blizzards, and New York in 1947 was one of the big ones that was listed up there. Oh, that was a beauty. I, I'm not. I'm not a good. Uh, I'm not good at retaining dates, but for some reason that one stuck with me. <laughs> Boy, I, I, well, I guess it would when you have to. <laughs> You have to go out with a stick to find your car. You have to punch in the snow to find your car. That's a biggie. And you were not in the country either. No, no, that was right in in the the borough of Queens, city of New York. Oh, you really got hammered. Yeah, it was a nasty one. Okay, now this one, the, the 1947? Yes. It had, according to the information that I pulled down, it was a special type of blizzard, and it was called a mesoscale, M-E-S-O-S-C-A-L-E. And that was described as instead of falling in a fairly even distribution over a very large area, the big snow fell squarely on the city in a very tight area, so you got it all. There was nothing in the outlying areas, nothing appreciable anyway. So you in, in Queens, they, they mentioned Bronx, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan as having been hit the hardest. Yes, yes. Well, it's a, it's a funny thing, but uh, I used to love it when it snowed. I don't love it when it snows now. <laughs> <laughs> I used to like to go out and tumble in that stuff. But now I, um, I just stay in the house and look out. You're smart. You're smart. What did you kids do in the snow? Oh, we uh, uh, we went uh, sleigh riding, uh, but you know where where I lived, there were no hills, so we used to go to Central Park, take our sleds on the subway. <laughs> Are you serious? Wow. 
and I don't I don't remember where it was, but there was a hill they called it Dead Man's Hill. And if you were you really had a lot of nerve, you had to slay down this uh, Dead Man's Hill. And I'm telling you, it, it just just the experience of going down there, you must have hit 35, 40 miles an hour. It was a real a real rush. Wow, what was at the bottom? How did you stop? Oh, uh, it, it 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 you went down the hill and then it flattened out into a flat area. So you you weren't risking running into trees or a, a wood stand or anything. Well, there was a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, width. It was a rather narrow thing, and if you went off, I'm sure you would have hit a tree. But uh, everybody seemed to stay in the ruts. Did you ever ever wonder today how so many kids survived? I mean, with all the crazy things that kids do. Yeah. I wonder how I made it. Yeah. Exactly. But all the the things that uh, we hear today that are bad for you and they're dangerous. (laughs) Well, nothing was bad for you, it seems. Yeah, well, if it was bad, we didn't know about it and we survived anyway. And uh, if, if you, we used to, you know, kids, they do some wild stuff. And I, if I see my kids doing it, I would have had a fit. <laughs> Excuse me. But we didn't get caught. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I'm sure I told you the story about hanging on the back of the bus. I don't... Did I tell you that story? I don't think so. Oh, there was a bus that ran up and down the avenue where I lived, and uh, if you got on the back of the bus and hung on to the uh, gas cap, <laughs> yeah, and you could kind of get your toes onto the bumper, and we used to sneak rides on, on the bus. Oh, my God. I would have remembered that if you told me that. Oh, my God. That that was a that was something, you know, but, but the, the, the kicker is I stood up rather straight and peered in the rear window. Uh oh. And I was looking right at my mother's face. Oh no <laughs> Of all I Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Trouble. <laughs> not have planned that? You could not have planned it. No, absolutely not. It's just like a movie. The right bus, the right street, the right time. The... So, oh, that's incredible. So what was your response to your mom? Uh, what was her response? No, what was your response to your mom? Oh, oh my God! As soon as she got a hold of me, I got whacked, and I, I didn't really say anything about it. I, there was no excuse. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> there was. You gonna say I wasn't there? Yeah. Well, now I heard that some people, and I imagine this was another dangerous thing, will hook their sled in the back of cars. Oh yes. Yes. That would be dangerous, I would think. Yes, yeah. my brother did it mm. uh, when they lived in New Jersey, and they, my mother says he got covered all over with ice and snow from the car kicking it up. And wow. Yeah, he uh, said he'd never do that again. Mm. Mm. I guess not. I guess not. We had a hill near where I lived. Yeah. And we would sled down the hill, and of course, you know, as a kid, it looked like a big hill. I don't think it probably wasn't a big hill. But the snow plows used to come through, and then they would they would plow the snow, and they would put um, gravel and and salt and, oh. and everything, so, and wreck our our hill. 
so after the plows went by and threw all of this stuff on the road, we'd go back and we'd throw snow on top of everything that the snow plow had thrown out. And, uh, you know, we'd pack snow on the bare spots that they had left. So you could have a... We could go back sledding, yeah. But right away. Sure. We were smart. We just took the stuff off the side of the road and threw it back on the road. Ah, uh, yeah. A lot of memories from that stuff. Good stuff. And we survived. Yeah, and the... Uh... The only other weather-related thing I can think of is, do you guys know what a Quonset hut is? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, it's an all-steel building. Right. It's got a round top, usually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just an arch. Uh-huh. But I was inside of a big, big Quonset hut, and there was one huge clap of thunder. It was the loudest thing I ever heard in my life. And everybody around me, we all fell to our knees from from the sound, it just it makes you crunch down, you know, and we, we just went, all went down onto our knees. And went outside and looked around and there wasn't any sign of a storm anywhere. It was just this one one blast. I, I thought we were bombed. Wow. Lightning can come from anywhere at any time. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what happened. It struck right near there. It may have hit the building. I don't know. It'll break your eardrums when it gets close enough. Whew. That's scary, yeah. Really scary stuff. You going to play a game with us today? Well, I guess I'll try. Oh, okay. What are you into this week? What what kind of stuff? Detectives or... Well, I, I heard you say you had a lot of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I don't think I have Sherlock Holmes. I don't think I ever sent you Sherlock Holmes. But you have to earn it first. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's uh-oh? Uh-oh, you have to answer a question in order to get Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, wait. Ovaltine question. There you go. You want the Ovaltine question? Yeah, I'll try that one. Okay. Which show offered an Ovaltine shake-up mug as a premium? Well, I'm not sure, but I think it was Captain Midnight. Oh, no, huh? Wasn't Captain Midnight? Captain Midnight did have Ovaltine, though, so I have to give you half a. I, I remember that. Yeah, he did have Ovaltine. So let's go to another one. Let me see here. What is the complete name of the show with Mr. Keen? Give me the give me the correct name of the show. Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons. That is exactly right, sir. You done it. Uh, what I. Uh, and Mike Clancy. Mike <laughs> Clancy. I mean, I hope to tell you, you know, this is my partner, Mike Clancy. Hello, Mr. Clancy. Thank you, Mr. Keene. Mr. Keene. Oh, Mr. Keene, the famous detective. That's right. This is my partner, Mike Clancy. Yes. And they would go back and forth through the whole show. Hello, Mr. Keene. Yes, Mike Clancy. This is my partner. Mike Clancy will go answer the door. Okay, Mr. Keene. <laughs> It was just, and it lasted 18 years, Ralph. Can you imagine that? It was, you know, really, uh, as I think back about it, uh, I remember when it was that he was looking for lost people. But later on, it was always he was catching murderers. Yeah, it didn't take very long for him to get into the murder business either. Walton, do you know how long it was before he he went exclusively to murderers? Well... They reason why they stopped because people stopped getting lost. <laughs> they probably had GPS. 
really push it and, and make a stretch out of this. The murderer is a missing person until... Until they're found. Right, so. Well, they, okay. the series started in 1937, and it was a daytime soap. And so, I, Patricia? What? Can you grab John Dunning? Oh, yeah, I do. I okay. thought you were going to tell me to hang up and get my other phone. No, no, no. no. It, Dunning, that would tell us how long it was a daytimer. And I think once, right. that, once, once that was done... Uh, with the, being a daytimer, when it went to a nighttime, that's, I think, when they made the switch. Okay, Mr. King, Racer of Lost Persons. 1930. 43 to 51, 30 minutes on Thursdays. Evening. And I, I bet that's probably roughly when they switched it to, the, to that format. So, five years. They started in October yeah. 1937, and then in December 1943, they went to a half an hour format in the evening, and that's where it stayed until April 19, 1955. Well, and also, uh, Jim Cox it down. They went back to having a one-time nighttime, and then also came back with a daytime, a daytimer, too. So sometimes they were on six times a week. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, it, it's, I was telling my cousin who is really getting into old-time radio, I, I said I gave him some Mr. Keen shows yesterday or the day before yesterday. I had dinner with him. And he looked and he said, Mr. Keen. I said, yeah, it's so campy that it's fun to listen to. So he's all excited. I gave him some Mr. Keen to listen to. It was a Frank. It was a Frank and Hummett production, and they had they they had 130 shows on it on the air, and so they would sort of outline and then assign the writers. And I think they pretty much had a set formula how a lot the lot of shows they wanted to uh, fall. And I think that's part of the reason why Mr. Keen fell into that. Yeah, that, that style. It, was, it was formula writing. There's right. no question about it. Yeah. They just changed the characters and <laughs> made a different murder. Somebody went off a building instead of getting run over by a truck. But uh, it, it was a formula, and it was a successful formula. People kept tuning in. They loved it. I, well, I know we always enjoyed it, but, you know, you mentioned Thursday nights. Yeah. As I recall, Thursday was a very good night for radio stories, for, uh, for uh, detectives and... All, all sorts of entertainment. Other nights of the week, I, I seem to remember it wasn't quite as as common to hear them. Well, I think Suspense was on Thursday nights in the late 40s, and Mr. King. So, so I think those would have helped anchor that down pat. You bet. I don't have any uh, schedules, and I, I don't have any in my files. I should have found some. I've radio been, programs, yeah. Yeah, the program schedules. There is a radio, there's a website that lists the New York Times radio schedules. Mm-hmm. And I put that, that's always fun to check. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've checked that. Uh, mm-hmm. I've come across a bunch of them over time, but I've never saved any. Shame on me, and I should have. I'll do it, but not... That's a good... Now you have something to do, right? <laughs> you didn't have enough. Guys are always giving me homework. <laughs> All right, I'll put it on my list, Ralph. Get a radio schedule. 
the other you were talking about theaters and what it costs to go to theaters. Yeah. Well, you know, we used to go on Sunday to the Radio City Music Hall. Ooh, okay. Twenty-five cents at the matinee. That was a big production, wasn't it? And we had the girls and the, and the huge organ and every, all the bells and whistles. It was like it was sort of a rehearsal, I guess. Huh? But, uh, if you went on Sunday early in the afternoon, 25 cents. So you had the Rockettes? Rockettes. And and the band and, or, or the orchestra? You had the whole... The whole orchestra, the, uh, the, the uh, big... Uh, the big organ that they had there. Uh-huh, the Welsh organ? Yeah, the big Welsher. I guess they called it a giant. And uh, it was a very impressive theater to, just to walk into, you know. Yeah. What, what, main, what were the main theaters in New York? P- Patricia and I were talking about the Paramount earlier. Was that? Yeah, Paramount, uh, that was a big one. Uh-huh. A lot of stars were there, like Sinatra and Elvis. And right. Heaven knows who else. But uh, everybody seemed to go to the Paramount. Okay. Uh, my, my friend's mother, a very dear lady, she was a big fan of Elvis. And she, she got herself all dressed up one day to go see Elvis. And she got on the subway train and she looked down. And she had one red shoe and one green shoe on. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> she was dressed to the nines, but she went on the the wrong shoes. What did she do? Did she go to the... Uh... She kept right on going. Good for her. You had to see Elvis. <laughs> good for her. Very good. Yeah, and uh, the other thing about theaters, we had a, a, a couple of local movie houses that were 12 cents. 12 cents? 12 cents. Uh, and for 12 cents, we used to take our lunch because you got two... Uh, full-length feature movies, one cowboy movie, and about 12 cartoons, plus the movie tone newsreel. And when you come out of there, you, 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 you would, I, I was coming out, and out of that darkness and into the bright sunlight and almost knock you down. Wow. Now, I'm going to switch phones here, so you're going to hear a click. Hold on, everybody. Hold on, Bless. You think she'll make it? You think she'll do it? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see, Ralph, if she makes it back. I think she uh, didn't. I didn't think she made it. Well, I guess I'll just call her back. Hold on, Ralph. She don't want to talk to her. I know. I know. Well, we're going to hang up on her and call her back, so. <laughs> well, listen, uh, I'll Ralph. bow out and let you first. Oh, no, no. You, you talk to me for a minute. I need you. I need you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, oh, God. All right, let me see. Let's see if that will work. Pat Hewitt, please. Nope. Uh, see, that ain't going to work. Let's see here. Well, t- how was the weather today? Ralph, tell me about the weather up there. Well, it, it turned a little cool today. It went down, like, into the upper 50s. Uh-huh. Uh, as late as, uh, as, late as last, uh, last Thursday, we were in the 90s. And all of a sudden, it, it's finally realizing it's uh, fall. So we're starting to get cool. You getting snow up there? Oh, yeah, you know, not a lot mm-hmm. where I live. But two years ago, we got a little over two feet. Uh, usually we get maybe six inches at a time, 
three times during the winter, that's more or less a normal snowfall for for right where I live. Got it. I think we have a bat. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, God. and it was my fault. You didn't do anything bad. I did. We were worried about you. I know. We thought we lost you. A little bit of dyslexia goes a long way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hung up before I picked up. That's okay. Oh. I hung up on my. I was switching phones, and I was supposed to pick up a phone and then hang up, but I did it the other way around. So. I understand oh, that. Yeah. I'm not a multitasker either. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I can't do two things at once. I have to sit down when I eat dinner. <laughs> it's a good. It's a good practice. I can't be trusted to stand up and move while I'm eating something. I have to sit down. Well, what was it? Say, somebody couldn't... And couldn't walk and chew gum? And chew gum at the same time. That, that's what it was. Yeah. Who was that, Walden? I don't know where that expression came from. I, it was either George Bush Sr. or Dan Quayle. I thought it came way before then. Yeah? Oh, yeah, that's older than I that. I think it's older than that. Hmm. However, the... Uh, quail is a very good example. <laughs> I have some quotes that people have sent to me about, uh, or that, that were by Dan Quail, and they, they were interesting. Well, I'll have to go oh, through you, them. You remember the one about the potato? Oh, yes. They tried to put an E at the end of the potato. An E at the end of the potato. <laughs> he corrected the kid in school. You know, he, he actually thought that New Mexico was not part of the United States. Oh, you know. Get a comment. He was an interesting person, to say the least. But I tell you though, he was he he was definitely a smart guy. He, my uncle, with the um, had MacArthur's job at that time. He was the head of the Far East, and the president and the vice president used to come into Japan. And my uncle was a part of negotiating, you know, military contracts with the Japanese. And the one thing he always respected from Quail, when he would fall in, Quail would sit down, tell me what you're working on, and, and let me know what I should not give away. And my uncle appreciated because most politicians would walk in and just sort of take over, uh, rather than, you know, destroy the negotiation what was going on. So. Oh, I'm sure he was a very good man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got a kick out of the time uh, President Bush went quail hunting. Oh. <laughs> at some time during his, his uh, presidency, uh -huh. and they made a big thing out of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was good. <laughs> Did we lose you again, Patricia? No, I'm here. Okay. Now that you got Patricia back, I'm going to leave you, folks. All right. Okay. Uh, Ralph, thanks for calling. Sherlock Holmes will be in your envelope. Oh, thank you, and thanks for being there. Okay, thanks. Talk hey. to you soon. Talk to you soon. And there goes Ralph. And I got Patricia back. Oh, yes. Oh, dear. You know, sometimes, you know, I don't know why you love me, Walden. I, I don't know why you love you, me. I keep you forever and ever thank and ever. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I have a clip. Hmm? Hmm? Want to hear about the Nebraska 1948 blizzard? Sure. Or you want me to play your, this uh, Edward R. Murrell clip? Okay. Whatever you want to do. You want to talk about the blizzard? Well, it's only one little paragraph. All right. Tell me. It was, it was a real honey. During the winter of 1948 to 1949, parts of the state received more than 100 inches of snow. Wow. <clears throat> one area in Antelope County, I don't know what part of the state that's in, but one area in Antelope County had drifts that reached about 30 feet and didn't melt until June. 
Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Wyoming all suffered through those blizzards. That was a honey of a year. No wonder my mom keeps talking about the winter of 48. Yep. Wow. 30-foot drifts, and it didn't melt until June. Amazing. Hey, something else. So what about Edward R. Murrow? Well, you know, I've been in the mood of pulling up a little clip tonight, and I have one when Edward R. Murrow sat down and talked to Bob Trout. And they reminisced for a couple minutes. Oh, wow. So, here, I think I, I picked out a pretty good spot. So, here we go. Night, looking out over London. In the course of the last 15 or 20 minutes, there's been considerable action up here. Charles Collingwood describing the German surrender. General Yodel said in a voice that choked and almost broke, with this signature, the German people and the German armed forces are, for better or worse, delivered into the victor's hands. In this war... H.V. Kaltenborn speculating about a third term for FDR. Good evening, everybody. There has been a contest of wits between the President of the United States and the Washington reporters. They have sought to make him tell what he intends to do about a third term. He has sought... Eric Severide recalling the fall of France. The life just simply ran out of the city. It was like a beautiful woman lying in a coma, you know, with her lifeblood just draining out through every, every vein, every street. I noticed the one way... Those are the voices of CBS Radio News, Studio 9. Those and others like Elmer Davis, William L. Shirer, John Daly, and Alan Jackson, who through the dark days of Hitler's march through Europe and World War II, through the 50s and now the 60s, brought the living history of the world through Studio 9 and into the living rooms of the nation. Tonight, they bid farewell to Studio 9. Farewell to Studio 9, an affectionate goodbye to the birthplace of CBS News. Here is CBS News correspondent Robert Trout. I am speaking to you from Studio 9. As broadcasting facilities go, this one is not remarkable at all. It's just a soundproofed room, 15 by 20, surrounded on two sides by glass-encased control rooms. On the third, it looks out into the clutter of the CBS newsroom. It's not the handsomest radio studio, not the most modern, not lovely at all. But for those who have worked here, it has a charm all its own. We shall miss it. We have been moving from this headquarters of CBS News at 52nd Street and Madison Avenue in New York City to our new headquarters on the west side of Manhattan. Oh, I'm sorry about that. recollections, and reports by the men who built CBS News. Men like Edward R. Murrow. Bob, one of the infuriating things I remember about Studio 9 was that occasionally we would get through to master control and then they couldn't get it down to Studio 9. And that produced some rather profane comments because we couldn't see why we could get a good signal three, five thousand miles, and in New York they couldn't get it four floors. <laughs> <laughs> I think the engineers are going to be slightly embarrassed. <laughs> well, we have some recordings of uh, of some of the broadcasts, a few of those things that you did, Ed. Would you like to hear any of them? Would you like to hear the uh, the, the one on the rooftop, the Blitz, in the Blitz? I've never heard it. Haven't you really? Probably terrible. No, listen to it now. This is London. I'm standing again tonight on a rooftop looking out over London, feeling rather large and lonesome. 
In the course of the last 15 or 20 minutes, there's been considerable action up here. But at the moment, there's an ominous silence hanging over London. But at the same time, a silence that has a great deal of dignity. Just straight away in front of me, the searchlights are working. I can see one or two bursts of anti-aircraft fire far in the distance. Just on the roof across the way, I can see a man standing wearing a tin hat with a pair of powerful night glasses to his eyes, scanning the sky. Again, looking in the opposite direction, there's a building with two windows gone. Out of one window there waves something that looks like a white bed sheet. A window curtain, swinging free in this night breeze. It looks as though it were being shaken by a ghost. There are a great many ghosts around these buildings in London. In some of them, companies of ghosts. Ed, I don't know how you feel about that. I, uh, I find it kind of hard to take. I'll tell you something about that, Robert, that was never reported. I had to stand on the rooftop for six nights in succession and make a record each night and submit it to the Ministry of Information in order to persuade the censors that I could ad lib without violating security. And I did it for six nights, and the records were lost somewhere in the Ministry of Information, so then I had to do it for another six nights before they would finally give me permission after listening to the second take of six to stand on the rooftop. So I had a lot of time up there. You remember uh, the studio? There we go. Just an old good story. Good stuff. Yep. Edward R. Murrow was a remarkable person. He could put together, I'm assuming he did a lot of his own writing, if not all of his own writing, I like would Elmer think so. Davis did. Yeah, I would think so. Uh-huh. Um, but his delivery was, it, it was in a style that we will never hear again. The emphasis was on the right words. You just, it was so smooth to listen to, and there was nothing conversational about it. That's true. Hello there, Carl. You are with Patricia. Hey, Patricia. Hey, Walden Bob Rowe. Hello, Bob. How you doing? Good, good. Doing okay. How about you? Happy October 16th, except it's the 17th now, isn't it? Uh, today is, yeah, it is here. It's 12.04 a.m. Yep. <laughs> Happy Sunday. Walden is still in another time zone. Yeah, I know. Most people think I'm in another place anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, how are you guys doing? Very well, thank you. Good. Uh, that was a great clip, Walden. Thank you. I like this piece called Stu- Farewell to Studio 9, August 16, 1964. And they sat down with all the new cast- newscasters of CBS and reminisced different stories. And it's a great piece of radio history there. I- I've heard that clip before of him standing on the rooftop. Yeah. And that is so, um, what's the word, so, so human. You know, it's not just a news story. It it gives you an impression of what people were actually feeling. I I don't think we can even begin to fathom what it would be like to be in a country that's actually under attack. No, and I think what Patricia mentioned, it was his style. It wasn't a conversational style. I guess it was a descriptive style. Yeah, yeah, kind of clipped, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. His delivery had these, these... little spaces in between so that it came out almost like a series of sound bites that were crunched together. Yeah. And it's not in a style that you would have a conversation in. It certainly wasn't conversational like we hear with our newscasters today. It was just perfect. It was absolutely perfect. 
and it was so easy to listen to, but it wasn't a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Very good. You guys were telling storm stories. Storm oh, I, stories. I was hoping you had one. Go ahead. What's that? You have any? I was hoping you had one. Go ahead. No, actually, well, you know, being raised in Southern California, I, I didn't have much. I mean, like like Walden can vouch for, you would, well, and you have it in Florida. Although in Florida, at least you have the heat in the summer. We didn't even really have that so much most of the time, at least not the humidity. But the, the, the year I moved to New York City was 68, November of 68. And that winter was one of the most severe in about 20 years. Really? Yeah, and that... A huge, there was a huge snowstorm, and it closed Kennedy Airport for about four days, and people were stranded there. The snow was so heavy that they couldn't even get cars in and out. And so people were, they were literally dropping supplies into Kennedy Airport from helicopters. Because there were so many people locked up in there. There were so many people locked up in there, and they couldn't. Wow. Now, I've been in... Where were you? Well, I was living in Brooklyn. So, But, but I remember you, you were talking about the, in Omaha, the snow not melting. I remember, you know, in New York City, when they have to plow the streets, all they can do is pile the snow up right. on the and, side. And if you had... And that was one of the worst winters, like I said, in 20 or 30 years, probably since that one you were mentioning in the 40s. And I remember that well into the spring... At, 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 at the end of the storms, when it was all said and done, the snow banks were probably about eight feet high. That's a lot of snow. The road. It was like driving through a tunnel. And people would have to dig out, uh, you know, walkways so you could walk across the street. And this was a narrow street I lived on in Brooklyn Heights. But the, um, the springtime came, and the weather was already warm. And these snow piles, it took them, you know, because they turned to ice after a while. They were probably there until late April, early May. <laughs> you know, they'd get a little less each year, each each day. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was really strange. It was, uh, and I can remember having never lived there. Now, I had been in the snow sometimes. We would go up to Big Bear Lake sometimes around, excuse me, <coughs> around Christmas time. And, uh sled and stuff, but I remember it took me a good two months to get my snow lakes, and I would go out, and everybody else would just be marching along, and I'd be slipping and sledding like an idiot. <laughs> I just didn't know how to walk on snow. I just never thought about that before. Yeah. Poor kid, you were a, you were a sun bunny. Yeah, and I mean, other guys would be like running, you know, not running, hard running, but you know, kind of... Uh, Walking across the street, yeah, and I just be whoa, whoa, you know, just it really did. It took me a while to, to get used to it. I still hate walking on snow or ice, uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. When I used to travel for a living, that was the one thing I always hated when I'd have to drive in snow. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yep. Growing up in California didn't give you an awful lot of preparation for that. No, but then I've lived so many years in in the weather, but. When I was uh, traveling, it was always kind of unique because I'd go in uh, areas where it would be bitter cold, and I would laugh with the people, and I'd say, well, you know, I hate to 
leave you guys, but I've got, you know, <laughs> we've got an outdoor barbecue this weekend, you know. Oh, wicked. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. You know how you you do every winter. I mean, everybody does lives in Florida, California. They wait till they read about the biggest snowstorm, you know, where their relatives live, and then they call and say, how are things? Gee, we were just outside in the backyard, you know, getting uh, doing some gardening, you know. Well, that's why I wouldn't do that. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't think of it. No. Think of it. Yeah. I, I'm the one who calls and says, are you okay? And that's, oh. I'm sincere about uh -huh. that. Are you okay? Well, yeah, that, we'll that. When you get that kind of a weather pattern through there, I'm the one who calls and asks if they're okay. And then I say the palm trees are fine. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. I, I truly don't. Well, I know that we, for years, we always tried to take our vacation in winter after we got here to St. Louis. Yeah. And it was, so many times we'd go on cruises, so we'd fly into either Lauderdale or Miami. And it would always be so great to get off the plane and, you know, walk to the airport. And then all, here's all your manicured lawns and yeah. tropical, uh, you know, plants. and Uh-huh. Yeah. Really nice. And all of a sudden you're sitting out by the pool and at your hotel waiting, you know, usually we'd go in the day ahead of time. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Which, by the way, you don't get much of in California, to be honest. People, when we first got married, we, uh, when Carol and I, our honeymoon consisted of a drive to California from Peoria, where we, where we were married. And I remember how excited she got. We got out there in November, and it was probably in the mid-70s, maybe 80 degrees, and she started to go to the beach. And I just explained, well, in California, people don't go to the beach in the winter. Well, why not? It's 80 degrees. And so we went to the beach, and sure enough, there was nobody there. You know, just they just don't. Unless it's one of those, like you guys had couple weeks ago that freaky well, we do that's a great time for us to go go down and eat at the restaurants during the winter on the beach because nobody's around yeah so yeah that's what the locals so do don't go to the beach mm -hmm. whereas if you go to miami you go out on miami beach and there's there's people on the beach probably not as many in the winter as, as in the summer but but there's still a lot of people there hey one of the things i was thinking about um you guys were talking earlier about um uh, Lewis and Clark. Mm-hmm. Ray was talking about that. Yeah, Ray was talking about uh -huh. A couple of misconceptions. Of course, they, you know, they started their tour, I mean, their, their trip out of St. Louis. So there's a rich, rich heritage here of Lewis and Clark. In fact, under the Gateway Arch, there's a huge subterranean um, uh, museum that is called the Museum of Westward Expansion. And it follows a timeline and you, um, they have the entire ex, all the excerpts from uh, Meriwether Lewis's diary, and you, you, you know, they have a lot of pictures. It's so well done. It is just really well done. But a couple things that people, uh, I don't know, it, it's kind of become a uh, like an old wives' tale or something. They were not looking for a, you know, to see if the Missouri River took them all the way to. They knew there had already been expeditions across the United States. There had just never been one sponsored by the United States government. And the United States had just purchased this land in the Louisiana Purchase. Mm -hmm. So basically what they were assigned to do by President, well, what Meriwether Lewis was assigned to do by President Jefferson was just go find out what we bought. Mm -hmm. 
And there was a number of things that they were supposed to do. They were supposed to find the best way to go to the West Coast. But they knew they would have to go uh, over land at some point. And they also um, were looking for places to build forts. They were checking out the flora and fauna. Uh, Meriwether Lewis was quite a scientific fellow and really took extensive notes and sent back hundreds of uh, samples of species and, and, and plants and things that he was not familiar with. And then, of course, they, um, they were also, really, it was also uh, um, checking out what kind of resistance they would get from the French, who had a lot of trappers, and the English had a lot of trappers and things. But even Kit Carson and all those were sort of contemporaries at that time, so there was a lot of mountain men and trappers that knew that area all through up there. So, I, you know, it, they weren't really... And there was one person that died on the trip, but he died of appendicitis. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. in fact, he died at Sioux City, Iowa, and there's a... Um, there's a uh, bluff named after him where he was buried. He was a sergeant in the Army, and mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember what his name was, but because um, I know they named the bluff after him. I, I can't remember what his name was right off yet. But it's a, it's a fabulous story. I've read several books on the Lewis and Clark expedition, and I mean, and you know, one of the reasons it took them so long because they wintered in the Dakotas the first mm -hmm. year. Yeah is because the whole time they were rowing upstream. Mm -hmm. You know, they were going against the current. Yeah. When they came back to St. Louis, they made it in just a, a, a month or two <laughs> because they were just flowing with the, with the stream. But the whole trip, until they got to the Continental Divide, was all upstream. And then they went over in Iowa, overland, and then they picked up the Columbia River and... and um, then of course they they went downstream, but boy, it was just it was it was a fascinating, fascinating. And Sakakawea was I can never pronounce her name. She was married to a fellow, you know, even though she was like seventeen, she was married to a French fur trader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Drouillard, I think was his name. Didn't we get about fifteen states out of the Louisiana Purchase? I think that's the number. I mean, quite a grand deal. Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. And and they left a mark. I mean, almost every place where they went through, there's probably a big statue to them now. There's a huge one. We live in St. Charles County, and in St. Charles, uh, the city of St. Charles uh, is right on the Missouri River. And the Missouri River, of course, meets this, the Mississippi just, just a little bit north of us. But St. Charles was their very first night. And Meriwether Lewis had actually gone ahead to St. Charles by horseback to, uh, I, don't, I don't I think it was pick up supplies or arrange for supplies or something. And they actually met him here, so he didn't take off with them the first night. But they had actually uh, come all the way, he had come all the way, and, and I think Clark was with him most of the way. They'd come all the way from Pittsburgh, down the Ohio. Mm. But their official, you know, that part, of course, had all been mapped before, but their official trip started in, in St. Louis. But Ohio, the year that year, it was so uh, it was so shallow in spots that they had to actually get out and carry on land, carry their boats, because there wasn't even a, a, enough depth in, in spots for them to uh, to row. But yeah, it's a fascinating story. And their first winter in the Dakotas there was really. Um, 
bitter, bitter, bitter cold. That's what kind of what you were talking about. What it must have been like for those people, yeah. you know, to live there. Yeah. Absolutely. You imagine like uh, like uh, Mary, uh, what's her name, Ingalls, the one that did little the Little House series, the books. I mean, can you imagine living in that area in a, in a one room cabin uh, and having winters where they they had to put a rope from the barn to the to the cabin because you could get lost in the snowstorm. I sure remember that the kid reading that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable! It, it really is. Well, you had snow, Patricia, growing up. I had snow growing up. Yeah. I'm the one who put the helped put the snow back on the road after the snow plows came through. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, the, on the hill near my house where we would go sleigh riding. You know, we'd go sledding down the hill, and the snowplows would come through, and they would scrape off all of the great snow and throw gravel and sand on the hill, which, of course, is not very good for sledding. So when the trucks went away, then we would put the snow back on the road so we could go sledding. Well, after all, your sledding is much more important than other people's safety. Well, we didn't know that when we were kids, you know. No, of course not. Yeah. No, I mean, it was like, how could you? You made a hole in this <laughs> scraped a hole in the middle of our sled run here. I remember when I was in high school, I, some of my buddies one year, we were going up, we went up to Big Bear Lake, and a lot of kids would do that from, it's up in the San Bernardino Mountains, it's only two and a half hours from Long Beach, but it was, you know, all of a sudden you'd be up at around, I don't know, around 8,000 feet, I guess, something like seven, 8,000 feet, so you'd get snow, and um, we went up there, and went intertubing one year on the snow, you know. Oh, gee. And what's that? I said, oh, gee, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, I was kind of a novice, but we were looking for a good run, and uh, some of my buddies said, hey, here's a great one. Look at it. It was really steep and fast, man. You could tell it was fast. only trouble is down at the bottom there was two trees. <gasps> trees were probably 10 yards apart or maybe 15 yards apart, so... You know, they said, "Oh, you'll go right through those trees." And I said, "No, no way." You know, well, one of my one of my friends did it. You know, and he, he right between the trees, and he comes up, "Man, that was great! You got to do this. I'm I'm next. I'm next." You know, it's kind of the old famous redneck thing. You know, what's the last words a redneck says? Watch me. You know, or look at this. And I went down there, and I remember as I was sliding down, all of a sudden the thing went sideways. <gasps> and I started, you know, I was going down sideways, and all of a sudden I saw that tree getting closer and closer, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to hit this tree. And at the last second, I went into a backward roll, and it hit me right in the hip. And that night, we were going to a dance, and, and, I, and we were camping out, and it was wintertime, you know, real smart when you're in high school. But we had a campfire and stuff, and we had sleeping bags. And I remember that night I had a fever. It hurt so bad, and I really should have gone to the doctor, but I never did. But I had a huge bruise. I mean, I'll never forget the pain of that, of hitting that tree. At that, at that speed? My gosh. Yeah, it was a very dull pain. But, but, I mean, it was a sharp pain, but dull. I don't know if that makes any sense. But I, I've never had another pain like it, but it's really... You know what, you know what Frank Percy used to slide down Big Bear Mountain? What's that? You know what Frank... You use a, what, oh. a tube. Guess what but Frank did. Guess what Frank Brzee used? Garbage can cover. Something more sacred than garbage can cover to us radio fans. 
Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, discs. Yeah, radio transcription disc. Oh, no. Oh, oh man. Oh. That's the night. Oh, would you excuse me when I go smoke episode that we can't whimper? get hold of, right? Yeah. That's what I told him. You saw that what happened to the Isle of the Mystery, Isle of a Mystery episodes. Yeah, oh, wouldn't that be. Oh, oh that is painful. <laughs> Uh, the only really bad thing I ever did, I'm, when I say bad thing, I'm comparable to what you did. Four of us went tobogganing one night in a place where we shouldn't have been. It was on a golf course. Ah. Yeah, right. And in in the area of New York where I lived at the time, it was pretty hilly. I mean, this, the, the, the name of the golf course is Blue Hill, so you can... You can figure yeah. out that this thing is built on hills. That, seems like, that sounds like a great place to go sweat. Oh, it was fabulous, except... And there's nobody around. And... There was so much... Yeah, well, no lights either. Um, uh, there, yeah. there was so much snow on the ground that you couldn't see the sand traps. And we hit a sand trap and went airborne. And I hope to tell you, four of them, uh, we were, there were four of us on this thing. You mean you, mean you didn't have, there wasn't enough snow in the sand trap to... Well, we did, we didn't see it, so that when we when we got there, the toboggan actually depressed the snow. You know, it, uh. it kind of made a little bit of a belly, and uh. it, we came out the other side of the sand trap, and you know, it was like flying off a ski lift or, or a, a ski jump. Oh man! I know. I was the one who stayed on the toboggan. <laughs> they all bailed. They knew what to do. I, I had never. What about that? Is 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 your? There's nobody around to call. No. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you, get an, if you get hurt or something, yeah. Yep. I was a hurt bunny. Oh, I thought you said you were the one that did me. You were the one that got hurt? I was the one who got hurt, yeah. Cause I, oh. They all bailed. They knew what to do. When this thing went up in the air, they just rolled right off and into the snow, and I hung on for dear life. So when it came down, I came down with it and hit the ground. Oh, it bounced. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Oh, that, that hurt. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've never, I, I've just always had an aversion to snow since then. When I was, when we, we lived for a short time in Peoria when we were first married. Uh, we went to California first and we came back for a while before we went back to California anyway. That's either here or there. But for a very short time, I was delivering milk in the morning on a, um, uh, you know, like a bobtail-type truck for one of the dairies. And uh, it was uh, Producer's Dairy. I'll never forget it. And, uh, you know, I would deliver to grocery stores and, and whatnot. And I, you'd go in at 4.30 in the morning. Well, this particular morning when I went in, uh, it had snowed, and the, the temperature was uh, like 44 degrees. And all the snow was melting, so the roads were all wet. Well, when I came out of the plant after loading my truck and whatnot, I didn't realize that the temperature had dropped Uh-oh. like 12, 13 degrees, and all of a sudden it was below freezing. And I was on this road in Peoria, and I can't, I can't think of the name of the, the road now, but it follows a bluff. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden I was driving along, and it, I thought my first reaction was I, the truck just started... Um, I felt like I was in an earthquake, you know, because all of a sudden I was steering, but I, the truck wasn't responding to my steering. And I thought, what is this? You know, and I thought there was an earthquake. Then all of a sudden it just started getting worse. 
and I realized that I was on ice, and all of a sudden I went off the road, and fortunately I went off on the right-hand side, because if I would have gone off on the left-hand side, I would have gone down a really pretty nasty bluff. Wow. And I snapped two telephone, or a, a telephone pole and another pole. Oh. And seeing them in front of me, like in slow motion, thinking, I'm going to feel a lot of pain here in a minute. You know, this is really going to hurt. I may die. And all of a sudden the truck flipped over, and it was on its side, and and I, my door was against the ground. And, I, you know, I didn't have a seatbelt on, and there wasn't a scratch on me. And I literally had to climb up on the steering wheel and open the door above my head and pull myself out through that door. And by that time, somebody had already called the cops, and it was like 5.30 in the morning, so there was no traffic or anything. I don't know who called the cops. I remember going to a house and saying, would you please call the police? Uh, but somebody said they already had. But at any rate, this cop came over and, and he looked at it, and, he, and when he got there, and he said, my God, have you checked? Is there anybody in there? And I said, no, there's nobody in there. And he said, well, where'd they go? And I said, it was me. And he said, you, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I, but boy, I tell you, I, it, took you know, it took me a long time to get used to driving on. And, and of course, you never want to try to drive on ice. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible. Anyway, that's my my storm storm story. I still can't say that. And you're but speaking that, to it. It, it. It's as bad as my district attorney Markham. I can't put the three of those words together. Yeah, yeah. Storm story, storm story. You can do it. Yeah, storm story, storm story, storm story. Yeah, I bet you Fibber could you can do, it. do it. I have a dynamite question for you. Okay. You, you can earn some Fibber McGee and Molly's. I think you gave them all to me, didn't you? Anyway, go ahead. I, I got loads more. Okay. Okay, here you go. This one's a really tough one. Which comedian was also an accomplished artist who painted clowns? Oh, Red Skelton. Oh, how did you know that? Well, I mean, I knew it, just general knowledge, but if you go into the um, Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas in the, um, uh, in the gift area, he ha actually had a shop there where he sold his original paintings and... Um, I mean, I, I don't suppose he ran it, but it was there by him, and you can... I, I, I don't know if they're still there. I haven't been there in many years, but... Uh, well, here's uh, a little tidbit for you, and because you've lived everywhere, you're going to say, I knew that. He was the model for all of them. He took... Oh, I didn't know that. You, what, he, he did it in the mirror? He, he took pictures or had pictures of... Um, his performances as um, Freddie the Freeloader and in, in a yeah. couple of other things, and, and he was the model for all of the clowns, which I thought was remarkable. I just they, did, they didn't all look like him, but he, he could have very well, you know, been the model. Yeah, he might have. Yeah, yeah, he he was. Some of them did. I, he did a lot of the Freddie Free, I, which was my favorite character of his. Freddie the Freeloader. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least on television, because it was the least slapsticky. Take and, uh, a lot. Take a shot at how much some of his paintings have gone for. Oh, I would guess ten, twenty thousand, something like that. I found four of them listed today for thirty-seven thousand each, and there are a couple of notes on the internet that several have sold for as much as eighty thousand. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Probably after his death, magnificent value. Yeah. You know, funny. I was thinking about calling his widow this week too. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, really? Yeah. I was trying to get a hold of Catherine Crosby today, but she was in Texas, so... But I got to think, well, yeah, I call Lassie and Skelton, and... Uh, Remarkable person. Yeah, very much so. I met him one time, of all places, in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, met him. I, we, we saw him at a restaurant. We went over and introduced ourselves, and he was the most gracious man. Uh, you know, so I don't know if that counts as meeting him, but, I mean, you know, I... I I saw him and talked to him and shook his head. Yeah, well, that's meeting. Uh, it was, we were in a restaurant in Dallas, and, and all of a sudden, people kind of were looking around, and uh, this is when I worked for Honda, and all of a sudden, we kind of looked around, and we said, that looks like Red Skelton. And uh, we asked the waitress, you know, and she said, well, we're not allowed to comment, but you could be right, you know. <laughs> and, and we noticed as people were leaving, they were, and, and he was with the group, and everybody that came by... He stood up and bowed, you know, how he did, he did, uh -huh. you know, he said, nice to meet you, it's, oh, thank you, I mean, he was just so gracious, he was just so nice. Wow. But who would have guessed, in, in a restaurant in Dallas, we, we were at a little Mexican restaurant here in St. Louis one time, and Barbara Bell Geddes was in there, now, I mean, you know, what's the chances of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey, there's a good question, Carol and I were talking about this today, what was his theme song? Are you, you, you guys good at humming? Um, Red Skelton's theme song? Yeah. I wouldn't know. Well, it, it, David Rowe, it, it, it had to be... Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I, it was Holidays for Strings. Yeah, that was Red Skelton's, right? Right. Because okay. David Rowe composed that a big hit in 42, and he was, the, he was Red's uh, main music composer, so I think he just took it over. Yeah, there was yeah, it was ho holiday for strings. Mm -hmm. That's it. Okay, very good, Carol. I'm I'm going to win some points tonight. <laughs> yeah. You can win some points, Bob. You're going to have to tell me, and you can do this by email if you want. Tell me which years I have already sent you on Fibber. Okay. And and I will go to another year. Okay, I'll do it. Thank you. Very cool. You guys probably got other callers waiting, so I will get off here. We haven't talked to you for a while though. So. That's true. I haven't seen anybody in the chat room. Bill wasn't on the show much this week, was he? No, I mean, uh, they lost Puppy this week. Yeah, I heard it, about that. Yeah, so uh, it was a hard week, and uh, and Bill was just trying to get through the fair. Uh, poor guy hurt his ribs this week, uh, this, earlier this week, so he's been playing with... Uh, with sore ribs, so I think I think doing the fair every day. I think he was just getting worn out, so that's why I. Now when is the fair another week or? Nope, this is tomorrow the last day. Tomorrow's last. Yeah. That went fast. It was. That's bittersweet for him. I know he loves that. He loves it. He loves it, but uh, it's a big deal, you know, 24 straight days. I imagine the county fair is going on at Pomona right now, isn't it? Probably. Yeah, over? probably over by now. Generally, it's always September, so I think it's. it's okay. It's, 